Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. I gave her my heart and she gave me a podcast. Yeah! David is holding his yeah! arms above his head as if... As if a boombox is in them. And what's coming out of that boombox? A new mini-series. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Griffin Newman. I'm David Timms. This is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David, a.k.a. The Two Friends. That's not part of the title. No, That's just not. a little hint for the listeners, because you're wondering who we are. We're hashtag The Two Friends. We're two friends. We host a podcast together. Here's what we do. We pick filmmakers. Mm-hmm. We go through their careers, their oeuvres. We're fascinated by when someone gets a big success early on. Big success. Gets a lot of freedom later on, and often they uh, they sort of uh, fall off a cliff. Sure. Maybe they fall off a cliff. Maybe they make something no one understands. Yeah. Maybe they do both. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, well, once in a while, they, they get the magic back. A lot of the time, sometimes. they try. Yeah. <laughs> we love redemption stories, but for us, it's like this... Uh, it's fascinating. Uh, we like looking at careers yep. in the sort of the uh, macro. Mm-hmm. And then week by week, we go into the micro. We go project by project. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that? Do you hear that? That's a clean snap of a new mini series right here that we're starting. I, we're, I'm doing some bad <laughs> Let's snapping. do a high five. Okay. Yeah. That was really bad. Can we try a crisper? Bad. All right. That was, that was pretty okay. good. I don't know if the yeah. mics picked it up, though. Yeah. Uh, it's a, this is a new mini series right now, and by popular demand, the title of this miniseries is We Podcast. Yes. Do you want to talk about that? I would love to talk about that. So we're, for the next uh, two, Eight two to nine and episodes. a half months or so, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, are going to discuss the films of one Cameron Crowe. Now, let's say this right off the bat. There was some debating. We are only going to cover the things that he directed. Yeah. He wrote uh, Fast Times at Richmond High. Yeah. It's based off a book that he wrote. He also wrote another screenplay that was based on Leftover stuff from the book. Called The Wildlife. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We thought about doing a double episode with that, but, I, you know, for the sake of our show, it, we're trying to keep I'm not it- I wasn't, I wasn't that into that We're trying idea. to keep it clean, you know? And he's got enough films. I think we are going to cover- We're our tourists, or at least I am. We're our tourists, yeah. yes. And we're going to cover with him, there's some interesting stuff. There are two feature-length music, music documentaries. Music documentary. Music documentary. Yes. Uh, that I think we might uh, do as like a, a, a bonus yeah, or put like them that. both into one episode or something like that. Yeah, great. I'm going to get to learn about Pearl Jam. Yeah. Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam 20, bro. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's also, he has uh, directed a handful of music videos. Sure. And um, we'll probably get to those in another b- b- bonus episode. Is that the plan? Yes. I think by the time this episode uh, is released, it will be too late for people to attend this, but we are going to be doing a live episode at the Del Close Marathon, the we'll UCD Del, Clo- Del Close Marathon. We'll tweet about it. We'll be doing that with a special guest. It'll be a 45-minute episode because sure. uh, it'll we're be a little puncher. It'll be a little But we're going to go through some of the music videos that, that old Crow. In 45 minutes, we will probably just set up the premise of the podcast, talk for five seconds, and then, and then uh, sign off. Well, here's something that usually takes about 45 minutes. Introducing the third member I'm of nodding. our of our motley crew, I'm nodding. I'm nodding, right? but it more of like our shaking. Pearl Jam. <sighs> yeah, mm-hmm. he is the producer of this show. Yes, it's of course, manning the ones and zeros, chiming in with his own opinions. Uh, generally, just you know, keeping us together. Um, we are the ghosts that haunt his studio, mm-hmm. 
and he is the the gatekeeper. I guess I don't I don't know. My metaphor is not tracking. His You're name adding shit. Yeah, okay. I, yeah. His name is Benjamin Hosley. Great. Hello, Fennel. And there have been some complaints that Hello Fennel has not been mentioned explained. in a oh, while. Has not been mentioned. Oh, explain. That's another thing we're talking about. We might do a best of episode where we just explain the weird in jokes. It's like a syllabus for some <laughs> in jokes. Oh oh we might do that if we have a week where we can't record. We cut together an episode where we explain some of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you know, there are all these different nicknames, and people don't know where they came from. Yeah, it would be pretty cool. Although probably a lot of work for Ben to go through the old episodes and find the first mention of every dumb fucking nickname. Agreed. But let's say this. If you're a listener of the show, right, and you're listening at a different point, you're going back to listen to old episodes, you re-listen, whatever it is, if you have ideas of some moments that you would want included in a best of, they don't have to just be bits, they don't have to be explanations of things, they could be moments of... I'm eating a muffin. Adept criticism. Well, this is a classic bit, is eating on mic. Yep. <laughs> um, if you have any suggestions like that, please email us at blanktechpod at, at gmail.com. Is it blanktechpod or podcast? I can't remember. I think it's pod. It's great that we don't know. Yeah. Also, we are opening a new new series by like you talking about the backstories. Oh, like Jesus the... Christ! Okay, Twitter, uh, Facebook, all those places you can hit us up. Uh, I read every email. I, we never respond to them. I just, I'm bad at emails, but know that they're always read and cataloged and processed. Your suggestions. Sure. And feel free to suggest any things you want in the best of. Because people who are jumping in right now, new miniseries, they like Cameron They might Monroe. be confused. They though. might be confused. They might go, Ben Hosley. Okay, I got it. But then if I were to say producer Ben, they'd go, okay, that still makes sense because yeah, he's the producer, the producer of the show. Of the show if I were to say producer Ben, they'd go, well, I guess because no, he's a you professional did this last doer. Time. Don't annotate every single nickname. It takes forever. They drop the C, though. The that's Ben Deucer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's we're combining the two. It's a portmanteau. You know, sure. the peepers, because sometimes he likes to peep in and watch people fucking. Well, you know, no, hold on. <laughs> keep the, going, keep he's going. the tiebreaker because if you and I are disagreeing on something, he he's the third tie. party. Yeah, he's able yeah. to do that. Birthday Benny, because he has Had a, a birthday, birthday once yeah. a year. Oh, hey, you know, actually, after this episode airs, it had been my 31st birthday. Oh, wow. So, birthday Benny. Never more topical. That's right. Another one that's topical, Mr. Positive, because he sounds pretty good right now. Mm-hmm. Usually it's a, an ironic nickname because he's miserable, but right mm-hmm. now I think, Ben, you're in a pretty good mood, right? Yeah, feeling good. You seem to be doing pretty well in your life. Uh, the Poet Laureate. Because when he jumps in with this sort of super on point film criticism, this is the he first sounds more episode of a miniseries than the two of us. But it's because <laughs> he writes episode. shit down, and we have a hard out in, in ninety minutes advance. Uh-huh. Hello, Fennel. Obviously, is <laughs> no, not explained. Carry on. A nickname there. No, because that needs to be a mystery. People need to figure it out for themselves. Yeah, go back, listen to the archives. I forget which episode it is. I actually re-listened to it recently though, and it's still funny. It's always funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, don't I listen to my podcast. I listen to my own podcast. Yeah, it's a great podcast. Don't call him Professor Crispy. You may be so inclined because no, but don't. The audio is crisp, but don't do it. It's don't just rude. It. It's rude. It's 2016. And Come then on. there are some no, podcast okay. names. He's the fuck master too. Don't forget that he's the fuck master. Sure. Okay. But then there are some Cause podcasts because he, he's the master of fuck. There are some miniseries specific names. Well, he graduates to different titles, yeah, such so as I'm... producer Ben Kenobi, yep. Kylo, Kylo Ben, ben yep. Ben Night Shyamalan, and Ben Sate. <laughs> What will his next name be? We don't know. I Someone already suggested the one that I think it's going to be. Tell me. I want to know. You want to know on air? I mean, uh, usually we save it for the last episode. All right, fine. I'll save it. I just got one suggestion that was so perfect. I just want to know. I'm so, so. Whatever. I'll tell you off mic. Yeah, I know you will. Cameron Crowe. Cameron Crowe. So why do we want to do Cameron Crowe, Griffin Newman? Well, we thought it would be interesting to mix it up with a non-genre filmmaker. Yes, we've done genre filmmakers like M. Night Shyamalan, George Lucas, and the Wachowskis. Mm-hmm. Now we're doing a man who traffics in the rom-com. The dramedy. I'd say the rom drama. The drum. Yeah, yeah. Rom dramedy. sort of reinvented the, the, the romantic comedy drama genre into his own weird sort of optimistic 
thing. Weird sort of super specific. He's as much of a genre bending guy as the other filmmakers that we've discussed, but in a much um, smaller scale, more focused, low budget kind of way, which makes him really fascinating. It's very easy to redefine anything, everything if you're like doing like bombastic, super visual effects, super designed movies. And Cameron Crowe just came out. This is his first film, 1989, Say Anything, and just boom, he's got a voice. This guy's got a style. He's got a tone. He's got an approach with actors. Mm-hmm. There's a sort of rhythm to his movies, you mm-hmm. know? An offbeat rhythm. There's a patter, you know? and there's An offbeat patter. And, and there's a sort of uh, an earnestness, you know, like yeah, a hip right. earnestness. Right. Um, Which is sort of counter to the, like... Um, Gen X sort of cynical kind of 80s tone you see, or 90s tone even, you see in movies like Reality Bite. Yes. In movies like that. And his golden age is, let's say, 1989 to 2000, right? Absolutely. The 1990s. Yes, okay. Yeah. And it's a time where culture is becoming more and more cynical. Yes. And his films get more and more poignant and become more and more sort of culturally connected. Yes, I think. eventually, I think, maybe to their detriment, but for a while there, yeah. it's great. He's going against the grain he, in a good way. It's weird. He, like, simultaneously was going against the grain and tapping into something that was very present. Sure. Um, and his films, uh, you know, were able to... They're, they're kind of these incredible comfort food movies because they're like these warm bath movies that also have an intelligence and an integrity to them, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like watching 13 Going on 30, which is, like, very well-made film and very entertaining. Right. But, like, Cameron Crowe movies are an easy watch, and they make you feel, like, really fucking good. And they're smart. And they're smart. I mean, I, I like 13 Going on 30. I do, too. I think it's a really cute movie. I don't mean to throw 13 Going on 30 we out. We can throw it under the bus. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not smart. Right. But, but like, Cameron Crowe movies, I mean, it's a, it's a warm bath thing. It's like he, he's very insightful, and he speaks to certain things in the human condition, these very specific moments. He gets to these sometimes just a line that cuts through all the bullshit and captures a feeling. He's obviously a very musical guy. Well, he starts out as a music critic before moving into the world of cinema. Uh, almost Famous is... Cinema. Uh, cinema. Almost Famous is a largely autobiographical film, so I, I don't know how much we can talk about his backstory here because we'll, we'll get, get to, to that it. movie We'll eventually. get to his childhood and his, yeah, his Rolling Stone career yeah, he was there. A, he was a very young journalist mm-hmm. and then followed around bands for Rolling Stone. And then after that, he uh, had dropped out of high school. He was now older. He decided to go back to high school because he looked very young yeah. and had sort of missed out on a lot of his high school experience and went like undercover as a reporter in a California high school. He did. And then wrote a nonfiction book about that called Pastimes at Richmond High, yes. which was adapted into the two aforementioned films, Pastimes at Richmond High and The Wild Side. Yep. Two separate films starring two separate Penn brothers about uh, Southern California high school. True. Uh, those, uh, the Fast Times was huge. Yeah, well, it was a sleeper hit, but a big one. It had a, it had, it landed with a real the cultural wild impact. Side or whatever that, was not that, a hit. that sank without a trace. Yeah, I own the book Fast Times at Richmond High. It's very hard to find. right? Very expensive. Yeah, how is it? Oh, it's really good. It's yeah. a great book. Yeah, actually, yeah, right. I forgot that. I Can you talk about that. the book a little bit? It's it's yeah. vignette more vignette than the movie. Yeah. So every chapter is basically just like a little high school story. Mm-hmm. I mean, it keeps re- you know re- repeating the characters and stuff like that. But uh, it's good. It's very smart. It's got like a teeny voice. It's good. Uh, it is hard to find. It's impossible. It's to very find. hard to find. It, it costs hundreds of dollars on Amazon. Yeah. I was once at a relative's house, uh, like an old relative, and saw it on the bookshelf, and I took it. 
I was like, I've always wanted to read this, and I read it. Yeah, good. And now cat. I have it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how similar is it to the film? Like, are the characters sort of direct Darker. fictionalizations of the characters mostly, in the book, or is it a lot of composite? There's kind some of... composite things, but mostly it's it, it's yeah. It's, I mean, but is there like a Spicoli type character in the yes. book? Oh, okay. there's Spicoli's in the book. There, yeah, yeah, yeah. The main characters in the book, the rats in the book. Mm-hmm. You know, I do think that one day we should do Amy Heckerling. I do too, because. One, we don't, there's not a lot of female directors yes. out there in yes. general. Who have enough films to Who cover. Have, right, right, exactly. Yeah. And two, she's fascinating, even yeah. though she's made some stink bombs. Yeah, but she's made some really important movies like as well. Like Fast Times at Richmond High? Yeah. yeah. And Clueless? Mm-hmm. What was the movie we were talking about in the last episode, the Chevy Chase movie that she wished she had never made? Uh, National Lampoon's it's European the, it's, Vacation. Right, the, the, the third or the fourth vacation. Yes. Yeah. I think that's the film the she fourth. made right after Fast Times. That sounds plausible. I think that was her Fast Times follow-up. But Fast Times was a cold hit, but it, it really, it connected, right? It connected, and it, it made stars out of, you know, tons of people. Jennifer Jason Lee, Sean Penn, Forrest Whitaker. Like, so many yeah. actors came out of it. Uh, the great Judge Reinhold. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mark, Mark Van with Slip-ons. Jay I'm sorry? Van Slip-ons. Yeah, it made stars out of Van Slip-ons. Yes, exactly. That's why we call Ben Hosley our finest film critic. <laughs> uh, because it made stars out of... Van Slippers. It exposed, it exposed those shoes to the mainstream, and it's we're a, still yeah. wearing it yeah, to this day. Yeah, I, yeah. I had a pair of Vans just a few years ago. Um, it's, we should stop the podcast there. Yeah, we should. Yeah. Perfect. That was um, a great insight. That was good. So what are we at? Like 10, 11 minutes? About 15. Oh, wow. Jesus Christ. We got to get moving. You, okay. you literally t- t- spent so long on fucking Ben's names. But I mean, look, that's the what we've written ourselves into here. Yeah. yeah. We're in the pocket now. Um, yep. <laughs> Fast Times is a great movie. It had a specificity uh, of uh, in the characters and was like consistently funny without feeling forced. I agree, but it's very I'm, human setups. But it's also honest and dark. Yes, and I think it, it has a, a brutality that uh, was rare for the genre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, struck an interesting balance. Um, I don't know if you have your Wikipedia open here, but I, I do. As best I, do. I remember, I after do. that, the film makes a sort of splash, and James L. Brooks goes to Cameron Crowe. Um. Yeah, you're correct. Yes. Yeah, and says kind of... He liked his voice. Right. I like your voice. Well, what would you want to make next? And Cameron Crowe was like, all right, buddy. Right. He held his arms above his head. Sorry, yeah, David's holding his arms above his head. Um, Fast Times came out, the movie came out in 82, right? Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then Wildlife comes out in 84. Yeah. So it takes a while. Yes. It takes a while life. <laughs> One comedy, film. if that, uh, for say anything to come out in 1989. Mm-hmm. 1989, the year of my birth, the year of my brother's birth. Yeah, uh, when were you born exactly? Uh, February. So you're okay. You're right at the top. Yes, right at the top of 89. Yeah. My brother was December. I'm at the tippy top. Um, but it was produced by James L. Brooks, as we, as I just mentioned, executive produced. Yeah, James L. Brooks goes to him. And he says, "What do you want to make?" He, you know, he, he's got a few Oscars under his arm as he says this. He's at like, this point, yo, I'm James L. Brooks. He's got some Simpsons residuals under yeah. the. No, it, well, 89 no, is it when it the starts. Year it started. Right. Yeah, yeah. So he's got like uh, an empty briefcase that's about to be filled <laughs> with Simpsons residuals. Uh, How rich do you think? James L. Brooks. I feel like I looked it up recently. I think he's over 200 million. He must be so fucking rich. Yeah. Every Simpsons episode has his name on it. Yeah. I think, I think he's, I mean, he's in the hundreds of million. It's crazy. Um, I wonder if he'll ever, he, we should do him. Oh, no question. How do you know is, is sort of the super ultimate blank check rom com? 
Yeah, that movie cost, cost 120 million dollars, yeah. uh, and takes place and in three rooms, and is insane. Yeah, yeah it's insane, and, and that, it's about Paul Rudd going to prison. Yeah, and that's his follow up to Spanglish. Yeah, which is also yeah insane. Yeah. what that's a crazy movie. Yeah, um, James L. Brooks. We're doing like no question. We're doing James L. Brooks at some point. But James L. Brooks uh, reached out, said, "I like your voice." Brought him in, worked on the script for a while, and then when he was done, he said, "Why don't you direct it?" And Cameron Crowe said, I don't know how to direct. I've never directed before. Sure. And he said, if you can write, you can direct. James, that's what James L. Brooks did. And that was James L. Brooks' kind of thing for a while. Was he, he, I mean, it wasn't the exact same model, but some years later, the same sort of process repeated with Wes Anderson. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. L. James L. Brooks was behind Bottle, Bottle Rocket. Rocket. Mm-hmm. They saw the short Forgot film. They brought right. them in for like five years, four years, whatever it was, a couple of years. They developed the script with James L. Brooks. And then he produced that film, right. and he like fought really hard to get uh, Sony to give him a tiny amount of money to make it within the studio system, which is right. the same thing happened here with Say Anything. Right. He had just done a couple films at Fox. He said, give this guy a little bit of money, low risk. You know, a decent, uh, it was, and as you say, this was a 20th Century Fox. It was yeah. made by Gracie Films, which is James mm-hmm. L. Brooks, but you know as the end of The Simpsons. Up next on American Dad. Sorry, I was doing the full. No, no, I don't like American Dad. Animation domination <laughs> continues. Um, sixteen million dollars is the budget on hey this now. movie. Nineteen eighty nine for a movie that's set in Seattle and mostly set in rooms, you know, and yeah. cars. You know, that's a decent, that's a decent like chunk of change. Twenty twenty eight million dollars today, and this is a movie that. with one star in it. Yeah, and her name is BB Newworth. <laughs> yeah, like there's not any. I mean, John Cusack is an actor, and he's been around for a few years. Like but he, John, he was not a star. No, yet. not at all. No. I mean, he'd been in like the sure thing. Like he'd been in like. Okay, so that was like his first big leading vehicle. Yeah, but that film was not wildly successful. He had popped up obviously in like Sixteen Candles and Better Off Dead and One Crazy Summer and Stand by Me. But like these are supporting roles. Was almost cast as Bender in The Breakfast Club. Um. Right. Right. Yes. He was like close to a lot of those iconic and high he, school right. roles, and, and he, he was didn't a, get Hollywood yeah. knew who he was, and obviously Joan Cusack at this point is already an Oscar nominee for were were. The Walking Girl, I almost said. The working working girl. girl. That's crazy. I didn't realize. So she, I, I was just off on the timeline. Working Girl is yes. 88? Yeah, 87 or 88? Right? Uh, yeah. And this one's saying, no, yeah. So Joan Cusack was already nominated, already been cast member on SNL. Yeah, she she was a more of a known quantity. She has a bigger part in 16 Candles. I mean, she, right. she right. had made more of a splash. There was also this kind of, um, th- there was this Chicago group. I mean, there are like four acting Cusacks, right? I think only two of them really kind of rose to the water, but there's Ann Cusack as well. Working Girl 88, just. Yeah, yeah. one year earlier. And yeah. I think there's one other Cusack who acts. Ann Cusack, I know there probably is. I think I there's one other one. You know, um, Valentino Cusack. But they all uh, grew up in Chicago. Valentino Cusack, great joke. Four comedy points. Thank you. Uh, they all grew up in Chicago uh, working with an acting teacher sure. who was Jeremy Piven's mother. Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven. Who's in this movie? Yes. Uh, Jeremy Piven chill. and Shira Piven. He still has to chill. You must chill. <laughs> they should play that clip anytime Jeremy Piven does anything. <laughs> Someone should just I type that I have hidden your keys! Yeah. Listen, you know, I love being on stage. I love Broadway, but my mercury levels are too high. You must chill! <laughs> Mr. Selfridge deserves to be nominated for 15 Emmys. You must chill! <laughs> Mr. Selfridge. He looks, he looks older in saying anything than he does, like, 25 years oh, later. N- no it's the weird pivot thing where he aged backwards, but not really. Yeah. He fake aged backwards. 
Yeah. Well, like he I'm, goes from being bald to having some hair to having a full head of hair. Yeah, he pulled a Benjamin Button. And much like Benjamin Button, the team at ILM had to pull off most of the effects. Fucking Benjamin Button. Yeah. 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 All right. So um, 16 mil. But my point is that the, the Chicago actors, mm. Piven's mother teaches the Cusacks, teaches the Pivens and some other people who come out of that generation. Sure. And they sort of all hit Hollywood hard. It's like these are the serious these are, yeah. actors. They're serious stage trained actors, but they all have this very light touch, this very sort of effortless behavioral acting style. Right. And they come out strong. And Cusack was sort of in the circles, but he wasn't getting that big shot. No, but here's his shot. Here's his he shot. He was not throwing away his shot. He was not throwing away a shot in the immortal world, words of Waitress the Musical. He was not <laughs> throwing away. That would have been funnier if I didn't fuck up the, the word. Immortal worlds. Word. Uh, uh, so he, was, he had been in Eight Men Out, you know, and next year he's going to be in the- Oh, he was already in Eight Men Out then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he, next year was going to be The Grifters. Right. Which I feel like is the start of- him being a Hollywood star. Agreed. Uh, and then he's in things like, you know, Bob Roberts and, you know, he's barely in that. Uh, what's so how old is he in this film? Like, how old is John Cusack, the actor? Yes. Assuming it's shot in 88? Yeah. Fair assumption, he's 22 years old. Okay. And he's playing and, 19. And then, uh, I along, Sky? alongside him is, uh, Ion Sky. <laughs> Ion Sky. I'll excuse myself. Yeah. Uh, is Ion Sky, who is an English actress, but you wouldn't know it. Really? Well, because her mother's American. She's sort of like... Was she, she raised in America or in England? I believe she was uh, raised in both. She grew up... Okay. She was a kid in England, moved to Los Angeles, and attended Immaculate Heart High School and Hollywood School for the Performing Arts. Interesting. But she was only 18. That I was going to get... In this film. She, she feels like a genuine teenager. And she had just been in River's Edge, and mm -hmm. then this year she's also in The Rachel Papers, which I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's an English movie. No. But uh, she's naked in it a lot. Okay, well, congratulations, David. Yeah, I, I saw it years ago. It's an adaptation of a Martin Amis book. It's a decent movie. It's a little silly. Uh, sort of a body comedy. I Not to put her on blast, but my sister was uh, talking about Martin Amis' daughter goes to her high school, or my, my, rather my sister just graduated from high school. Congratulations. So, uh, yeah, congratulations, Romley. Uh, Martin Amos' daughter went to her high school. Sure. Or she went to Martin Amos' daughter's high school. Whatever, who fucking oh cares? God, fucking, what the fuck is your story? And she was like talking about the girl and she was like, and also her dad is Martin Amos. Like Romley was like name dropping. Uh, and, and you were like, huh? I was like, who? <laughs> and she was like, oh my God, you don't know who Martin Amos is? Martin Amos is like this, he's like such a famous novelist. Are you kidding me, Griffin? That's so embarrassing that you don't know who Martin Amos is. And I was like, what books has Martin Amos wrote? Right. And she was, and she went. He's like very famous. Oh my god, so famous. Yeah. Does she listen to this podcast? No, she will never listen to this podcast. Ha! <laughs> Take that, Romilly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Ion Sky would just. She's a very, very hot property. I feel like you know okay. she's like this up and coming actress, and Hollywood's got its eye on her. She never panned out. It never connected. I mean, yeah. she's around and she she's actually pretty good and stuff, but like she I feel like she just never like became a big deal like John Cusack did. I even feel like mid 2000s she had a low resurgence where well, she was well, she, when she's in arrested development. Oh, I forgot about arrested development. Of, I mean, Meet the Veals is one of my favorite arrested development episodes and it's the one where John, uh Jason Bateman, you know, Michael can't explain how she's Mae Whitman's mother, how she's Anne's mother. Yeah. And he keeps saying, well, you got to lock that down when, when they talk about uh, getting married young, which yeah. is a line. It's uh, one of those Arrested Development lines that's funny the first time, but then they say it so many times that it just becomes like impossibly funny. Anyway. Uh, what I was thinking of, she has a really, really strong small part in Zodiac. Yeah. 
She's very good in that. And I think right around the same time of a year or two earlier, she plays uh, Drew Barrymore's friend in, in Fever, Fever Pitch. Pitch. Yeah. She was starting to like pop up more. Like sure. that was like 2005 to 2007. Yeah. I don't then, know. And then she waned again. I don't know. She's a good actress. She is a good actress. She's good in River's Edge. She's good in this. Mm-hmm. She's good in the Rachel Papers. Yeah. She's in Wayne's World. Oh, yes. Briefly. She plays Rob Lowe's girlfriend at the beginning of the film. Um, but that's That's kind like of... a cameo. She's in one yeah. scene, literally. She's the one who turns Rob Lowe onto Wayne's World. The opening of the film is them in right, bed together. They, yeah, when, they, when he's flipping around. And that's she goes, right. stop this. These guys are funny. And she explains the appeal of Wayne's World. She uh, dated Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, well, that's what married Adam Horowitz. Oh, from I the did know that. Boys and then divorced him. I knew that. Uh, so yeah, so she's she and she's a painter. She wrote yeah. a children's book called My Yiddish Vacation. She's doing stuff. Yeah, I like it. She married a musician in a Hindu wedding send- c- ceremony in India in two thousand nine. Uh huh. So she's up. She's up and st- up to stuff. But she's sort of unlike Cusack. She's a teen idol who's probably most famous as a teen idol. Whereas yeah. Cusack, who's like teen idol, famous movie star, famous weird. Slightly bloated, crazy person on Twitter, that's his thing now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's it, where he is at I, now. I, I hate even talking about it. He was pretty good in Chirac. Yeah. Uh, and I also, I liked him a lot in Maps of the Stars. Haven't seen. Liked him a what lot. What is he doing in that one? In that. Acts like a big old creep ball. Well, that's the thing. He's got to play into it now. It's kind of a bummer, though. Yeah. I feel like the last time the movies tried to sell him on us as like a regular leading man, mm-hmm. is Hot Tub Time Machine. Yes. That was the end of it, right? Yeah, after that he starts doing Where a lot he's of he's like, with Lizzie Kaplan and you're like, this is fucked up. Yeah. He's like 20 years old. Yeah. Mm, this is weird. Yeah. That having been said, in real life at the same time Lizzie Kaplan was dating Matthew Perry. No, I mean, I'm not saying, I just, it can be a little annoying in a movie when well, that's the dynamic. And I just want to make it that's clear. That's all. People can date who they want to date. I think both of those things are equally gross. I pass no moral I judgment. Would date, I would date Matthew Perry, and I wouldn't date John Cusack. It's weird. Now, at the, your yes, current age, right you would date Matthew Perry? I would. I would. I, I would think date that's Matthew a big age Perry. gap. I, th- I think you're very you different approve? points you in your life. I don't know how much you'd have to relate on. I would just, I'd like to talk to him about, like, you're tennis. You're very and, different things. And what, what's Tom Lennon really like? Okay, do double you, takes. But, <laughs> yeah, double takes is, I mean, that is, he could really school you minutes. on that. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. but here's my question. Do you want to, like date like Matthew Perry a little bit casually or do you want to be like dating Matthew Perry? Do you know what I'm saying? I want to be dating him. I don't want to date okay, him casually. Okay, see, I would go on a couple dates with him. I would not I would here's not get serious with Matthew Perry. Here's something you don't know and we we should move off this but I really want to tell you. Yeah. Matthew Perry is indescribably rich. He probably has a lot of nice I do houses. Know that. I I'd do go know hang that. out in those houses. Yeah, but if you're going to marry rich, marry James L. Brooks. Oh, I'd love to marry him. He's probably happily married. Yeah. He strikes me as a guy who's happily married. Okay. He Oh, he definitely is. Yeah. Canyon Jim? Canyon Jim? He's probably like married to some nice person. Yeah, I think they've been married for 82 yeah, years. Yeah, right. Exactly. And it's like they just eat like strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> like They just hang out. Okay, quick sidebar. They like go to the farmer's market. Quick sidebar. If you could marry any cast member from Friends, who would it be? Me? Yeah. Schwimmer. Ben? Lisa Kudrow. Good That's call. my answer Good call. too. Yeah, yeah, I've got no beef with that. But my she's happily too. married. Not to be heteronormative, but it's just I'd go, I'd go Kudrow, then, then I'd say LeBlanc is my number two. Yeah, he's fine. I would, I would, I would happily marry LeBlanc. I wouldn't want to marry Aniston just because it feels like 
a lot of tabloid pressure and stuff. A I, lot of you know. I don't want to be part of a narrative. It, I was you know about what I'm to saying? say that you That's get put into a narrative. You get put into a narrative. I just want to live my life. I don't I, want people reading into it. You know, as a as a plot point. But I, I feel like Schwimmer would be fun though. Schwimmer's great. With. All right, here's some things about Schwimmer. One, he plays my favorite character in Friends. Ross is easily my favorite friend. He plays my favorite character on The People vs. O.J. Simpson. He plays my favorite character on The People vs. O.J. Simpson. He goes to the theater a lot. I have been at two separate Broadway plays. Yeah. Or off-Broadway plays and seeing him in the audience. He does a lot of theater, he's, too. And he does theater. He directs. Yeah. I think he's kind of smart. Jewish. My mom would be happy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe he learned to cook for Feed the Beast, so maybe he's got some uh, cooking tricks up his sleeve. He is also, Doesn't like Watto, though. That would be a problem. Doesn't like Watto. Is married <laughs> to someone younger than all three of yeah, us. Yeah, I know. I know. He's I married know. to, like, a 25-year-old. Yeah, yeah. I know. Anyway, that was a fun little... Uh, so he's the one we could probably pull in. I mean, we're in the right age zone for fun, swimming. It was a fun little adventure. We could go we swimming if we wanted to. <laughs> hey, yo! All right, end of the podcast. Johnny People Cusack. are like, oh my God, talk about Say Anything. <laughs> Great movie. Great movie. So I've seen this movie seven or eight times. I've seen I it. own it. I've, oh, I like oh, really? this movie. Okay. Yeah. I hadn't seen it in a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you worry, especially with, like, a movie that was very generationally appropriate and very teen-focused, mm-hmm. and a movie I liked as a teen, you worry, uh-oh, am I going to watch this like, grown-up and think that it's lame or think that it's sort of, like, like yeah. notice flaws that I didn't see before? And uh, I actually think I liked it a little bit more. Yeah, uh, I had a similar thing. I think I, This is the third time I have seen this movie, okay? The first time I saw it, Entertainment Weekly came out with a list of the top 25 Best love stories in film. You were, by the way, you were about two months old when this film was released in April 1999. Yeah. Okay. So EW comes out with uh, best teen movies? Yeah. Yeah. I think about 2003, 2004. Sure. I mean, I was uh, 14, 15. They come, it wasn't teen movies. It was best love stories. Best love movies. Okay. Sorry. Right? Mm-hmm. And it was number one. And I was like, I know people like that movie, but I'm surprised they'd put a teen movie as number one over like Casablanca, over whatever, whatever, whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, I was very surprised by that, and I went like, maybe it's not it's- enough fucking in Casablanca. That's why. That's why, uh, especially in the backseat of a car. Um, uh, I I rented it with my mother, who they had probably also- fucked on Sam's piano in Casablanca late at night. <laughs> That's how they wrote. She was like, play it against Sam. That's how they wrote. You must remember this. It was accidentally yeah, yeah, the butt cheeks just- hitting against. Mm-hmm. Bum, 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 bum. And he was Bogart's like, Bogart's butt Wait a second. Let's stop fucking for a second. Yeah, that's what he sounded I, like. I think we got a hit. <laughs> yep. That's his, it's like he's in the Humphrey room. Bogart. Bogey himself. Is this an episode of You Must Remember This? Bogey, bogey, bogey. Okay, all right. Um. Anyway. Oh, so, best love stories. By the way, this episode was written and narrated <laughs> by love, Griffin Newman. I love Karina Longworth. I love her podcast. Me too. She certainly hits those T's very hard. Really hard. Crisp T's. Yeah. She hits those T's harder than uh, Bogart's butt cheeks were hitting the piano keys. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Play it again, Sam. Play it again, Sam. <laughs> Doesn't say that in the movie. <laughs> no. Never says it. We say it on this podcast. That's our new catchphrase. Play it again, Sam. <laughs> when people say play it again, Sam. Hashtag play it again, <laughs> From here on out, when people say play it again, Sam, it's go, about oh, this you listen to Blank Check? Yeah, it's about this yeah, podcast. You have to promise Tweet me. at us every day. If you're Promise a real fan me. of this podcast, every day at 10 in the morning, you have to tweet hashtag play it against Sam at me and Griffin. Yeah, and also include Barack Obama, because here's the thing, he's almost out of office. But yeah, include Barack Obama, not at POTUS. No, at Barack not, Obama. No, the personal account, yep. because he's not going to be running the POTUS account anymore yep. come next year, and we want him as the third friend. Oh my God. Let's throw That'd this out be there so right good. now. 
That would be so good. Let's throw this out there. We're not accepting a third host. Absolutely not. Except for the 44th president of the United States, President Barack Obama. Yeah. He could be the third host. Yeah. He'd be like Griffin. <laughs> uh, producer Ben, a.k.a. the Ben Deucer. Oh, hey, what's up? A.k.a. Uh, the Poet okay. Laureate. We've got, we've got an hour and ten minutes A.k.a. Or so. the Haas. We yep. forgot the Haas. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I'd like to uh, say to the American people a uh, hearty hello uh, fennel. <laughs> Which is worse, my Obama or my Bogart? Your Bogart. Your Bogart was worse. <laughs> Bogart was worse. Your Bogart was terrible. Okay. Your Bogart was just a voice. It, was, it didn't sound like a, it was just like, I'm Humphrey Bogart. I'm <laughs> uh, Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> that was Peter Falk. No, that was pretty good. I'm uh, Humphrey Bogart. Mm hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, what about this one? <laughs> I'm uh, Humphrey Bogart. That's Pacino as Bogart. Think I know who that yeah. is. Yeah, Pacino? Hell yeah. Our good friend Al? What about this? I'm uh, Humphrey Bogart. Uh, that's uh, Watto. As as Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Humphrey Bogart's role in The Petrified Forest is somewhat Watto-esque. Yeah. A little 30s movie jam for you guys. Yeah. Why, you, you motherfuckers want to jam with that? <laughs> Next episode, The Petrified Forest. N- the year is 1989. <laughs> 1989. Griffin Newman is two months old, and playing in the multiplexes is Say Anything. I was about to turn three. My what? mother was pregnant, but I may not have known it yet. You're leaving something out. What? Ellipses. What do you mean? Oh, it, oh, the title is Say Anything Ellipses. Say Anything dot dot dot. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, my mom doesn't see it when it comes out because she's got a fucking new baby on it. Yeah. And then she doesn't catch up with it later. Yeah. And then when this Entertainment Weekly list comes out, both of us go, huh, I've never seen that. Number one, we should rent that. So you rent it? You watch we rent it together? It, we watch it together and both of us go, oh, it's okay. Interesting. Okay. Surprise number one. I mean, you know, just because we, I took the enter- hype was hard for you to. Yeah. I take Entertainment Weekly list very seriously, sure. and especially at that time, they were like, I mean, I had the Entertainment Weekly like top twenty five cult movies issue. No, I get. And you. that was like my Bible, and I just read through that, and I rented all those movies, and I was like, I get cult movies now, mm-hmm. and so I saw a lot of movies that I had seen and loved ranked lower than say anything. I watched it. We went, yeah, it's pretty good. We both loved Cusack, my mom and I. He sure. was like one of our movie stars. My mom and I really like. Feel like a mutual kind of ownership of the sack, you know? I also love John Cusack. And, and always had. Yeah. Like, yeah, he was also an early favorite of mine. And uh, we watched it, I thought it was okay. And then uh, I'd say about uh, six or seven years later, mm. 2021, um, Living Alone, uh, Say Anything comes out on Blu-ray for like the, whatever it was, the 20th anniversary. Sure. Yeah, it would have been 20. It was the 20th anniversary. Yeah. The Blu-ray comes out. And I rent it, and I go, you know, I may have been too young, give it another shot. And I watched it, and I went, yeah, I like a little more than I did last time, but I still don't like it as much as most people do. Watched it uh, two nights ago. I, th- I think I finally get it. That's good. And I don't know if it's just that uh, previously uh, I-, I was too close to some of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think he makes um, a lot of his films function best as sort of like memory films okay, in the same way that, that Linklater movies do. There's so much about like reliving a time and a place in your life. Yeah. Where sometimes if you're in the middle of it, they're not as sharp as if you're watching it from the perspective that he had when he was making it. I think that's true. I think he's very good at putting you in the consciousness of a character. Yeah. So this movie is very much told from the perspectives of its two teenage protagonists. They you know they're both about 18 years old. And it has 
their energy, I think, which is this weird sort of mix of like super slow laconic energy and then yeah. like sudden bursts of like crazy hormonal passion. And it like veers wildly between these two things. Lloyd Dobler. Lloyd Dobler is John Cusack's character. And Diane Court? Diane Court. Is um, uh, Ion Sky's character. Yeah. Ion Sky. I don't actually know how you say her name. I thought it was Ion. I might be wrong. And, and I got to tell you guys, Frazier's dad, <laughs> looking young. Well, this I, I, I'll talk about him for a second. So yeah. John Mahoney uh, plays... Uh, Diane's dad. And just, Ben, for your clarification, yeah. it, that's the way they did that, um, effects-wise, is that this movie was made before Frasier. It's oh, true. my God. Yeah. So, oh, okay. so just to give you a little Mahoney history. So they were able to save because money on were, not Benjamin Buttoning him or not Jeremy Pivoting him. I guess that makes you sense. You were talking about uh, Chicago. Mahoney is a Steppenwolf theater yeah. man, yeah. Like which is the Chicago, this like famous Chicago theater company. Yeah. John Malkovich came out of it, you know. The great Gary Sinise. <laughs> Gary Sinise this is a co-founder. And so he, um, you know, he had been a big deal there. He'd uh, taken his work to Broadway. He'd won a Tony for the House of Blue Leaves. Like, mm. he was, like, this big theater actor. He had barely been in any movies by mm-hmm. the time he's insane. He'd been in Ten Men. He'd been in Eight Men Out. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, Which like, was a, a Chicago movie. Yeah, John Sayles movie. Yeah. Um, and so, but, you know, he's, and he's going to be in Barton Fink in a couple of years. Like, he's going to be in the Hud Circle Proxy. Mm-hmm. You know, the Coens liked him. He's... In like reality bites, he's in, he's like floating around, and then ninety three, he's in Frasier, and then it's sort of like he's the Frasier guy. I feel like, but he's like yeah. a great actor, and I feel like he Who gets, became Frasier's dad. Yeah, he gets pegged as Frasier. You know, he's great in Frasier. Like it's a it's yeah. a performance. Like he's very good, but it's it great. you know, and he made you know tens of millions of made dollars, so much money. But yeah. it is it is that that sitcom curse. Uh, a little bit, a little bit, yeah, yeah. In the same way that I'm going to be stuck as, uh, you know, um, intern. Uh, you know, I was trying to make a better reference, but I couldn't remember the name of the character. I, I don't know. I was going to say the assistant I played on Political Animals. <laughs> oh, you don't even remember I what the name remember. of your character was? I can't even do it. Well, there you go. I think maybe it's Rick as well. Is that Was possible? it also Rick? It might have been. Which character of Frasier would you guys date? Which character in Frasier would well, I date? 100% uh, Dr. Frasier Crane. Baby Newworth. Uh, Lilith? Yeah. Well, she's a Cheers character. Come she's, on. Is she on Frasier? No. Yeah, she's on Frasier, but I mean, you know, she's she's more of a Cheers. She never got her own Frasier. I mean, she, you can count her. Who if you was really the want. sassy producer? Uh, you know, uh, what the fuck is her name? Uh, uh, Perry Gilpin. Uh, Roz? Roz, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Uh, or, or you know, uh, uh, Eddie. Eddie the dog? Yeah, Moose. Who was, who was, in, uh, who was in The Artist? The dog's name was Moose? Yep. It was actually two dogs. Moose was the second. Oh, bling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, uh, you know what I'll say about B.B. Newirth? Because she's in this movie, say anything? For one scene. Yeah. And w- I watched this movie with Joanna, and she was like, is she at the party, too? It's a weird scene, because she's the guidance counselor, but she's at, like, the teen party. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, you know what my biggest takeaway was from her appearance in this film? You wanted to make out with her? Yep. She's... Yeah, gorgeous. Yep, I'll take as much of that as you got. Did you watch the Tony Awards? Uh, I did. The, yeah, she, she, you know, she did a number. She uh, did Chicago. I she know. Did a number from Chicago. She looked great. Uh, you know what was fun about that number? Uh, that number happened two hours and 50 minutes into a ceremony that was supposed to be three hours long, <laughs> and they still had five they, awards to get They out. only had three, but it was still crazy. They had the two acting musical leads yeah. and best musical to go, and it was, it was like... And she was like, Chicago, the revival, it's been running for 20 years. And we're all like, okay, I mean, great. Yeah, you we know, know that because you do a Chicago number every <laughs> year. 
get with the show. <laughs> and all that jazz. Who of the main Chicago cast would you fuck in the movie? In the in the motion the movie, picture the, Chicago? Yeah. yeah. There's Lu- only one answer. Lucy Liu. <laughs> She's not in the movie, is she? Lucy Liu's in the film Chicago. What does she do again? Gets arrested. Oh, yeah, right at the beginning. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Who's your one answer? Who's Here. Razzle Dazzle. Oh. I want him to Razzle Dazzle he's, me. He's not my type. I'd I guess go, you, your type is not handsome people. No. Well, I'd go Lucy Liu number one. I'd go number two, uh, Tay Diggs. Yeah. Yeah. He's really he's really hot. He looks Chicago good too. in he that does. movie. Yeah. And then I'd go... Baranski, number three of the bullet. All right. Let's keep going. Oh, Riley's <laughs> number three. He's a tender lover. Who? Riley. Oh, John C. Riley would work harder because he doesn't have his looks Mr. to lie Cellophane. back on. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Cellophane. He's Mr. Cellophane. Um... What's the movie we're talking about today? Uh, say anything. Oh, dot, right. Dot, 1989, dot. directed by Cameron Crowe, starring John Cusack, Ion Sky, and John Mahoney. Uh, three powerhouse performances. Let's talk about the plot of this film. It's tough to talk about because Cameron Crowe does not make plot-driven films. We, that's become like a cornerstone of this show as we go through the movie and we sort of summarize the events of the film and then come up with, with uh, you know, sort of uh, notes and opinions. That's, yeah, that's usually and insights style. as we're going through it. But these films are very sort of... Um, they're shaggy. And they're kind of anecdotal, you know? They're, yeah. they're a series of uh, little 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 events, little moments. Yeah, absolutely. They're shaggy in a, in a charming way. Uh, this movie starts out uh, mid-conversation. Yes. Uh, Lloyd Dobler, played yes. by John Cusack, sitting with a uh, character named Corey, played by... Corey Flood. The great Lily Taylor. She's so good in this movie. So good in this movie. Oh, my God. And then the third character is played by James L. Brooks' daughter. Oh, really? Yeah. She's she's adorable. Amy Brooks. Amy Brooks. As DC. Yeah, she's really cute, but she doesn't have much to do. She has that one moment where she's like, um, I I, I wanted to say something. You're always talking over me. And like, what is it? And she's like, ah, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good little moment. And it's like, it's like a good little encapsulation of the crow thing, which is like everyone's a person. Like he makes these yes, movies, absolutely, where like everyone is sort of a fully realized character and has their own victories and their own failures, mm-hmm. and aren't just there to like prop up anybody else. Um, but the opening of this film starts mid conversation. Mm-hmm. He's sitting around with these two girls. Yeah, and he it, he's like it's kind of a part of his character. Like he's his best friends are girls. Yeah, and I think in the late eighties, this is like enough of an unusual concept. It's like definitely. Yeah, this guy's like not. Very particularly typical, but he's not like alternative exactly. He just like kind of has the kind of energy where he's his best friends are these uh, cool girls. But they don't push it too hard. No. You never see him really being friendly with other guys in the movie. The well, guy no, he seems closest to is Eric Stoltz's no, character. Th- but there's the one scene where he's like, maybe the the problem is that I'm friends with girls, right? And I should be friends with guys. And he goes yeah. to talk to the guys, well, and they're just like troglodytes. We'll get I to love that. We'll scene. get to that scene. Those guys suck, including Pivs. Yeah. Um, but uh, he's talking to Lays. I I think you're right that this was kind of a novel concept at the time, slightly, and then just slightly. And then you know after that, I think partly because of this film, it becomes more of a trope to have like the sensitive guy with the best friend who is a girl. Sure. But the whole film is setting up to he's in love with the wrong person, and he really should be in love with his best friend at the end of the movie. A classic rom com trope. This is not what this. Say anything is. doesn't do that. He's just a guy. But uh, yeah, he's friends with a gal. I think what I like about this movie. Couple gals. Couple gals. And, and Lily Taylor had just been in the year before one of my favorite movies to just watch over and over again. Can you guess? It's really her only movie before this one. Dogfight? Uh, Mystic Pizza. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, which she's so good in. Dogfight was later. She's in Mystic Pizza. She's kind of the wild character, which is funny. Correct. Anyway, um, 
what I like about this versus what I think is the common teen movie of the 80s, which mm-hmm. is the John Hughes movie, mm-hmm. is that it is less factional. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Cusack isn't a type. His friends aren't a type. No. And Diane is more of a type because she's like the goody two-shoes. But I like that when they go to the party, which is my favorite scene in the movie, obviously it's an extended series of scenes right at the start. Yeah. It's not like a popularity thing. It's not like a weird, tense place. No. It's just a bunch of energy and sexy things and yeah. just kind of people being like, whoa, we're teenagers, ah, you know, like just behaving stupidly. Yeah. And there are villains like there's Joe. But I mean, he's a moron. He's not like, he's he's just stupid. Yeah. You know, which is like mostly teenagers are mean to each other because they are fucking stupid. Well, and they wanted to have sex, which is a real problem. There, there's the the. Uh, oh boy. Anyway, I like saying it. It just yeah. upends so many tropes. There, there's the great uh, Jean Renoir quote that the great. I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck it up, but great French director. The great French director. Uh, his quote was something like, "I think it's in uh, the Grand Illusion." La Grande Illusion. Or maybe it's in Rules of the Game. A character Grand says, I believe maybe his character that he plays in Rules of the, game, the game says, "The great tragedy of the world is that everyone has their reasons." Mm. But maybe I'm wrong, and maybe the Nazi says that in Grand Illusion. The point what is, is the world, but a, uh, the ocean, but a multitude of drops. Yes. Anyway, go on. Yes. But that line always like hit me really hard. The great tragedy of the world is that everyone has their reasons. Great I, line. I feel like uh, you know, um, Cameron Crowe makes films that are on their face, kind of low stakes. There aren't do or die moments. It's people trying to define themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Especially this one. Yes. Right. They're mo- mostly movies of like internal. Self exploration, and if there is some externalized goal of what they're trying to achieve in their career in their relationship, it's just about them trying to hit a different place in their life. Or and but also it's like when plot things happen, they happen because crazy things happen in people's lives out of nowhere sometimes, right? Or because someone makes one dumb decision, and that's I think that's what Cameron Crowe eventually loses track of. But like that's how his early movies feel, where it's just suddenly there's a big plot development, yeah, and you're like, oh, this almost feels jarring, but it's like you know, but. He's trying to capture how life works. Sometimes shit just happens, right? Yeah. Where it's like boop, 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 and then suddenly just someone comes up to you and goes like, this amazing core yeah. terrible thing just happened. Boom, 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 and you go back to boop, 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 boop. Um, but uh, this, uh, this opening scene, right? Uh, I forget what the first couple lines oh, are. Oh, you really want to concentrate on this I think, opening I think scene. This it scene's is a great really scene. Fascinating. I agree. There are a couple opening lines I was trying to write down, but I think I missed them that are happening over sort of the opening titles of the film. Uh-huh. And then when we cut into the bedroom and we see them there, because it starts with like a skyline shot. Seattle. Right. One of the first things is, that John Cusack, I believe the first thing his character says, because the dialogue we're hearing before that is uh, Taylor and Brooks. Uh-huh. He goes, I'm going to ask at Diane Court. Right. The right. movie gets straight That's to the That's what point. it's about. It's about him wanting to ask her out. Right. And that's what his character is about for the whole movie. Right. I feel like a lot of movies, he would have other goals or problems. But as he keeps being asked, like, what he wants to do with his life, and he keeps replying half jokily, like, I want to be with your daughter. I want to be with Diane. But that's actually true. Yeah. That's basically what he's got right now. Yeah. He knows they'd be good together. He likes her. Yeah. And he wants to be with her. That's what he wants to do. Well, I just like that the two of them, the two friends, not not hashtag the two friends, but his two friends. Move on. Let's make it clear. They're not edging our territory. On. They're immediately like, Diane Court, like she's like a brain. She yeah, she's a brain. Socialize. She's valedictorian. Yeah. He's about this. He goes, what about the movies? Would the movies be a good second date? And they go, yeah. you haven't had a first date. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we did. We, we sat together. We sat at the food court. At the we mall. sat together yeah. for a little while and we talked. Right. 
Now, he thinks this happened. We never see this. Yeah. She just seems to have no memory of it. Yeah. But it definitely happened for him. He calls it later our controversial first date. Yes. But did you ever have this in high school where you just one day, like, look at a person who's obviously existed for a while and just go like, oh, I'm going to have a crush on her now? Kind of. Now, I I don't know if the listeners know this. I went to a boys' school. Oh, boy. So it's a different it's a different vibe. There's less or of Or should that. I say, oh, boys. Oh, boys. Oh, boys. So when you meet a girl yeah. at a boys' school, and I met plenty of girls, and I, I have my, you know, my romances and all okay. this. Okay, yeah, humble brag. But, um, but it's more like when you meet a girl, you're a little more conscious of, like, ooh, a girl. Okay. Because yeah. all I see to the, all day at school are boys. Like, here's a girl. Yeah. Like, I should think about her, like, a little more consciously than just, like, dull, you know. Yeah. I guess this thing I'm getting at. I mean, I'm it, yeah. a heterosexual man. Right. So that's how my brain worked. That's all. Yeah. Like not to be, you know, like not everyone at the boys' school was thinking this way. Put it that way. Put it that way. Wait, put it. There were some gay boys at right, the school. Right, yeah. yeah so the, the way you'd put it. Was, that's how I put it. Yeah, right. It is the rules of the game, your quote. Oh, thank you. Okay. And I think it is Octav. Yeah, it is his correct. character. I always, I, I get You I get, get tripped scared. up on your own anxiety. I don't want to misattribute it, but I, that's what I kind of knew in my heart. It was that character. Anyway. So he wants to take Diane out on a date. Oh, no. But what I was going to say was, I distinctly remember in high school, like one day, oh, sure. Crushes, walking yeah. past a lady who had like, you know, I'd been in the same building with for years. Sure. And just like nothing changed externally. It wasn't like she came in with some fucking Ali Sheedy makeover and I was like, I never noticed you before. Sure. Which I just more of the Hughes crappy. Right. Yeah. I would just go like, oh, I could have a crush on that person. Sure. You know? And then I would just the next day decide, like, I have a crush on that person. How am I going to talk to her? Okay. So you, you, were, you maybe have, so had a slightly obsessive or fixated thing, personality type. Yeah. Yeah. Listeners of this show might be surprised <laughs> to hear that I obsess and fixate on things. <laughs> Oh, boy. But much like Lloyd Dobler, I had, like, a lot of female friends, and I'd go to them, and I'd go, like, how do I talk to her? What would be the thing? Sure, you would workshop. Where is she going to be at this party? What do I do, you know? But what I like about this movie is that the obsession is contained to the first scene, yes. and then he calls her on the phone. Yeah. So we see him go home. He sure. lives with his sister. He lives with his older sister, who has a kid. Played by the great Joan Cusack. Yes, and the kid is played by some kid. Yes. And he likes to go, yeah! Uh, the ki- kids, uh, he's very kiddy. Yeah, he's a real kid. He's a real kid. He's a real 80s kid. Yeah, Joan Cusack rules in this movie. She's the best. So good. And I love that first scene where it, they just graduated. The first scene where you see her, he just yeah. graduated. And she comes in apologizing, like, I'm sorry that I couldn't be there. And he's yeah. like, I oh, don't worry about it. And she's like, ah, oh, but you're graduating. And I wish I could have been there. And then immediately she's on his case about something. Like, immediately. Yeah. And he, he's like, will you back off? And she's like, yeah, I'm sorry. And he's like, you used to be cool. And she's like, I did used to be cool. It's this like whole range of emotions in five minutes. Yeah. She's his big sister with a it's kid so good. who was abandoned by her husband. Yes. They live together now while their parents are stationed in, in Munich. His parents are in Munich. Yeah, right, right, right. His parents right, are in yes. the military, or yes. at least his father. They're in Germany yeah. right now. Yes. You don't really hear anything about the mom, but the dad is in the military and wants John Cusack to join now that he's graduated. Right. And there not there a line that alludes to the fact that he had spent some time stationed with them and decided he yes. wanted to be back in the States and yeah, now he has to live with his sister? He yeah. spent some time in London. That's why you're thinking right. of that because yes. she's. Well, Diane's about to go Going to London, to London so but he's also been there. Right, right, because he knows cool London places to recommend her. Cool, yeah, totally. Um, Bangers and mash. Yeah, in between these scenes, right, there is the scene of John Mahoney and I on Sky in the car. Mahoney is so good in this This is movie. an unbelievable performance. It's, 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 this it's, is one of the things for me that, like, clicked this time watching it mm-hmm. that I don't think I was old enough the two previous times 
to really understand that character. Mm-hmm. Like, I understood his actions and what he was doing. Sure. But it always was like, oh, so he's just a shitty guy. Right. And I watch this movie now as, like, somewhat of an adult. Sure. And I totally understand the fear that drove him to do these shitty no, things. No, exactly. And the delusions, the way he lies to himself and justifies his actions. That's what I think the movie gets at from the very first scene where she is going through her speech, the valedictorian speech that she's going to give, and she has this lame joke, which is like, I've seen our future, and I just have one thing to say. Go back. Is that it? Yes, and, he and he's just like, it. ah! Oh, that's great! That's great, sweetie! Go back! Ah! Yeah. Like, And it's just like, there's no one on Earth who would think that was that funny. No. He doesn't think that's that funny, but he's he's throwing all his eggs in her basket. Yeah. And like we're just getting it immediately. And like obviously this is the mistake he's made. He but. thinks his daughter is incredibly special, which I think the film also argues she is. Totally, yeah. And he is uh, so blindly afraid of... Anything going wrong in her life. Of her, for any reason, not being able to live up to her potential. And he has like, they've basically like planned, it's kind of like the Gilmore Girls dynamic, but much more intense. Mm-hmm. It's like since she was a kid, the plan has just been like, you're going to be valedictorian. You're going to like get this fellowship. You're going to go to the best school. You're going to get the best jobs. You're going to be on think tanks. You're just yeah. going to be an a important person because you're so smart. And she has this very close relationship with her father. He yes. is also like her best friend. They can say anything dot, dot, dot. to each other. And he administers an old folks home where yes. she helps out. But I like the sense that it's not that he's sort of this like controlling kind of stage That's dad. what I love about it. He's yeah. not controlling. You think early on when she comes home late from the party, he's going to chew her out. He no. doesn't. He's just like, hey. He loves her unconditionally. And she's like, I'm glad I went. And he's like, great. He knows how smart and talented she is. Right. He is terrified of anything getting in the way, any common thing that could trip up any kid. What if she starts drinking? What if she gets in with the wrong crowd? What if she socially becomes obsessed with this? He wants her to stay on the path to achieve some sort of greatness. I also like that the greatness isn't specific. No. He's not going, you got to be a lawyer yeah, or no, a doctor. No, it's just he knows just, she's going to be important. You have ability. Yeah. And I want that to be placed somewhere important and not diluted at all in the way that can often happen in high school. Exactly. Um, and she is, you know, very dorky in that she really just cares about uh, this sort of stuff and has no social life whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's not socially inept. No, no. She's more socially untested. Yeah. And because she's been, like, and they mentioned early, sacrificing her social life basically to go to classes and, like, do all this extra stuff. And yeah. So she's valedictorian. She makes the speech. And she makes the speech. The joke, joke doesn't go over well, but she makes a speech and then she seems to kind of go off script and she says, like, I've now, you know, I've considered the future and I'm really scared. Yeah. Which seems like an honest admission and not like a phony one. Right. Which is a nice moment. And then Lloyd calls her up. Well, Lloyd photobombs her. He does the original photobomb. He does. He photobombs. He goes to Corey and he goes, take a picture. I'm going to stand behind her. And I, then turns just at the right moment. I feel like we should move. I agree. I just the, want yeah. to give him credit uh, for being the original uh, photobomber. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Hashtag the original photobomber. No. <laughs> he calls her up. Hashtag play it against him. <laughs> <laughs> he calls her up on the phone. Yeah. And like doesn't even really wear her down. Now, I mean, I feel like this is what I was afraid of rewatching this movie. Yeah. Is you rewatch some of this stuff that was romantic when you were younger, and then when you're older, you're like, this is about a guy who won't stop pestering some poor woman until she finally falls in love with him. I got, I had a big conversation last <laughs> night with uh, my best friend, Sophie and Hawk, and who I've referenced a lot on love this show. Love you, Sophie. Um, about this sort of, th- 
thing in the media of like all these uh, great romances being about a guy who won't give up trying to win sure, over the your, girl. Sure, your, your romance is problematic or whatever. Right, yeah, but right? it sets this very weird precedent where yeah. it's like, well, eventually he wins her over and it's fine because of the one time that she relents. Yeah, sure. But right. it's also like the line you're presenting there. If- well, I think people now just think like it's set this like bad kind of example for people, younger people, yeah. where they're like, Oh, but I thought it's like if I just like bothered someone Stick enough, maybe it. that yeah. would work. Or right. like I'm a nice guy, you're supposed to like take me seriously because I'm a quote unquote nice guy or yeah. whatever. All yes. these sort of bad habits, yeah, bad things, bad yeah. things in the culture. But but Cusack just has this like he's got such a light touch. Yeah, that's the thing. I think I think this movie mostly threads the needle. The one weird thing he does, honestly, is is play in your eyes on the stereo for her. Like that's the one time when he's like borderline bothering her. But I'd say it's more weird, like, come on, you're a weird guy. Like, he, I don't think it's too pestering. No, me too. I mean, yeah. uh, but, uh, that's, uh, the movie pulls it off. I think. If there was a yeah. sequence where you saw him do that every morning, <laughs> like six mornings in a row, right. you'd be like, okay, fucking take it down a notch, Dobler. Right, or if it was like the, the awful movie The Last Kiss, where Zach Braff's big sacrifice after he cheats on his fiance yeah. or whatever, is that he just sits outside her house all day and night. For days and at, days and days, or the least romantic moment in any movie ever, which is when um, uh, Walking Dead uh, has the note cards for oh, Kara Knightley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, I mean, I hate love actually so much. Andrew Lincoln, Andrew Lincoln. Yes, you're thinking of yes. Yeah, the, the to me you Rick, are perfect. Rick, Rick Grimes yeah. from The Walking yeah. Dead, and he played the character of Rick Grimes in Love Actually. Yes. Yeah, and Kira Knightley played Anna Karenina. Yes, yeah. and Chiwetel Ejiofor played Baron Mordo. <laughs> what was his name in uh, Serenity? It's like the inspector, but it's not that. I've never seen Serenity. He's so good. In yeah. It. You know what? That guy, uh, really fucking good actor. Oh, my God. He's an incredible actor. The operative. That's his name okay. in, the Seren- in, but I in, see, in the Serenity. I saw him something recently that was like so whatever, and he was so above and Did beyond. Did you see it. the secret in their eyes? No. Was he good in that? No, I didn't see it. I was you, just wondering. Oh, you know what he's fucking great in? And what? it's like a fucking throwaway of a movie? A uh, triple nine. Oh, cool! Right with uh, yeah, I haven't seen that with, with everybody. With Winslet as the uh, Jewish uh, mobster. She also rules in that. Although putting her next to Gal Gadot makes like it's it's a little tricky because Gal Gadot is uh, Israeli. Yeah, she is. And Kate Winslet is oh not. sure is a milky English woman. Right, and she like plays it, it well. And then anytime Gal Gadot is standing next to her, you're like, ooh, are, bee, bee, are bee, you, bee. did you see him in something recently? Yeah, uh, you for the Martian. He's good. He's so good. Real in the good. Martian. He's good. Here's the Z thing. Z for Zachariah. He's literally great in everything. I don't ever think I've seen Z a bad performance. Z for Zachariah. Uh, no, but he is very good in that. Salt. Uh, you know what movie he's who great? is Salt. I, I think Angelina Jolie is Salt. you know Red Belt. Oh, he fucking rules great in Red, Red Belt. Belt. You know I go to the mat for Red Belt, right? Uh, uh, but you uh, know I love Red Belt, right? Inside Man. He's great in Inside Man. He's great, and I rewatched that recently, actually, Such on TV. Movie. Uh, you know what movie he rules in? What? He is great as uh, the only black man ever in the history of New York City in, in a Miranda, Woody Allen film. Yes. Yeah. He's pretty good in that. Yeah. He's fucking great in that Have movie. Have there ever been black people in Woody Allen movies? Melinda, Melinda, by the way. You said Miranda, Miranda. Uh, oh, so sorry. I, I was thinking of my favorite Sex and the City yeah. character, Miranda. Uh, right, and you, the name's so nice, you gotta name it twice. Correct. Uh, I think that's, I think I'm he's trying to the think only of, one. like, black actors in Woody Allen movies. I think he's the only one. He's made so many movies, that can't be true. I mean, of course it can be, Woody Allen, a couple of, couple of bad things in that career there, but I uh, just wonder. Like, 
I cannot think of another one of prominence. I will say that. I'm sure there are a couple yeah, like no, day sure. player one-liners. I cannot think of another substantial character. Yeah, that's, I mean, and just even though I expect nothing of Woody Allen and don't really even want to talk about him, just hearing that and then considering the fact that he's made like 40 movies, yeah, it kind of takes your breath away. And that like 70% of them take place in New York City. New York City. Eh. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Chiwetel rules in that movie. Chewie! In a part that was originally written for, do you know this? That role was written for Robert Downey Jr. and he was uninsurable. Interesting. So they cast Chiwetel for instead. In Red Belt, or which one? In uh, Melinda Melinda. Oh, Melinda Melinda. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Okay. All right. Uh, we're really off track. Um, say the, anything. Say anything nice. They go on the American date. Film, they go Fox. on the yeah, date. Dot, she dot, goes, dot. huh? Dot, dot, dot. Yes. Yeah, sorry, Ben. They go yeah. on the date. They go to the party. Yeah. It's not even really a date. He says it's a date, but it's, you know, they go to the party. But the phone call's good. I mean, there's like, he, he says to her, like, hey, I don't know if you remember me at the food court. And she clearly doesn't. She goes, okay. And he goes, so uh, you know, I want to know if you want to go out sometime. And she says, like, I'm, I'm just really busy. She says, right I'm now. busy. She gives him a couple blow offs, like, eh, I'm busy that day. I'm busy that day. And he's like, well, what about this party tonight? Like, let's do the party tonight. Yeah. And he says, you know, I heard you're moving to London. I've actually spent some time in London. My parents are stationed there. I have some hot tips, some places you could go to. So even if just for the London tips, I mean, he's really, he's really charming. And he's yeah. not pushy. And uh, he's not pushy, but also I think he's appealing to a different thing, which is that she feels disconnected from her class. Yeah. She doesn't know any of her peers, really. Right. And so, like, he's giving her an opportunity to do at least mingle a little bit with, like, the people she went to school with for four years. Yeah. Or whatever. Uh, so he picks her up. They go to this party. Yep. He's very cool to Mahoney. He's like, I don't really drink because I'm a kickboxer. Kickboxing sport of the future. He's so fucking good in this He's movie. He's so good in this movie. This is the Cusack, like, this is the Cusack Bible, this movie. This is, like, yeah. I feel like where so many of his mannerisms, like, began, right? Well, and I'll tell you this, like, you know, a, a little less. Sometimes they're used better, sometimes they're used worse. Yes. You know, I'm not saying this is his best performance, but it's it's kind of the beginning of his performances. A little less now because I'm a little bit older. A little bit older. But for like most of the last decade, I've been fucking auditioning for like shitty high school movies, right? Or like uh -huh. college movies or movies w with young, very young men, right? And so often in the breakdown, the It'll thing they like write in parentheses is think a young John Cusack. John, John Cusack type. Yeah. Right? They yeah. throw that as the archetype as the guy who's sort of smarter than everyone in the room, but isn't cocky, is very sensitive, but has a certain slickness to him, you know? Sure. And has, like, really sharp kind of comic timing. Yeah. And what always happens is when I go, oh, they want, like, a John Cusack thing, and I'm not saying I'm fucking going in there and nailing it, right? Mm -hmm. But what always happens is you go in and they go, hey, can you make it, like, a little bigger, make it a little broader, right. a little more leading man? Get away from that. what makes Cusack so important. That's the thing. You look at this performance, and he's so small in it. I, I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, he never barely expresses, right? You know, like a teenager. Yeah. he's a real teenager. Yeah. he's got that kind of blank face. Yeah, that Mahoney, the dad, is just so very expressive. By. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and he's I own very Sky, expressive. I own Sky too. I mean, John, she's got this crazy mouth. I can't keep my eyes off. And her there's mouth. that great so this line, huge mouth. It's yes. not unpretty or anything. It's just but, really distinctive. But it also definitely feels like a high school thing where it's like your face hasn't totally hit the final proportions yet. You know? Sure. Right. Right. She's like a you, young person. You know? Right. Yeah. It's it's still all shifting around. There's the line where she goes to lunch with her mom and she's bringing over the boyfriend, and the mom goes, "Remember, just keep talking because when you don't talk, your mouth does that downward thing." <laughs> 
I forgot about that. The mom's mean. Mom's very mean. And it speaks to the kind of thing where it's like she's got this mouth that's... Uh, the other thing with her mouth is it's always a gate. She's got this like high school thing where she doesn't know how to keep her mouth closed, kind sure, of. Sure, and she, it often looks like she's sort of grimacing or kind of clenching yeah. her teeth. She's like, uh... Like, doing that a lot. But she's always Fits sort character, of, like, I jaw think. open. Always a little stressed out. Cusack's always very tight-lipped. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? He's got also this kind of pursed mouth. And he's got these very expressive eyes, but they're small. Yeah, he's a beady little guy. Yeah, but he's got kind of a Buster Keaton so thing going go... on where he's sort of stone-faced the whole movie. So they go to the party. They both also talk really quietly, which I like. Like, the film, they're talking literally at a quiet volume. So they go to the party. Yeah. Okay. All right. So they go to the party. The party's great. This is my favorite scene. Yeah. I already talked about it. Looks like it. a good party. It's like no, I mean, 20 minutes of the movie. Exactly. I, I yeah. just like it's... Unique little things like yeah. I like the the keymaster thing is great. John Cusack has made uh, you know Lloyd has made the keymaster by Eric Stoltz by Eric Stoltz who In plays mask. like yeah he plays like the character he's gonna play the college version he's going to play in Kicking and Screaming like five years later, yeah. which is like the guy who's a little too old to still be hanging out, but right. he's just such a party guy the that it's like whatever man yeah, yeah. Uh, makes Puts on the suit, makes Lloyd yeah. the keymaster so he has to like decide when people get to have their keys to drive home if they're not if they're sober enough yeah so a position of responsibility yeah and I feel like it's important in this movie because it's identifying for Diane that it's like. This guy might seem like a fuck up and a weirdo, but actually he's like a level-headed he's dude. He's like solid. Like there's something solid about him. And you've got you've got Jeremy Piven plays this drunk maniac who needs to chill. You, he must chill. chill. He must chill. And Lily Taylor's uh, Corey has this whole drama going on with Joe, played by Lauren Dean, in a wonderful like one scene villain performance. Basically, so funny. Uh, she fell in love with Joe. They slept together a bunch of times. She lost her virginity to him. He he dumps her over and over again for another girl. Well, she he was always with the other sure, girl, right, and right, Lily right. Taylor thought that at some point, because he promised he was going to dump the other girl and be with her, it never happened. And Lily Taylor attempted suicide once because of it. Yeah, we get the sense fairly recently, and now she only writes songs about him. And yeah, she, the film is slightly flippant about the suicide attempt. But it works because that's how teenagers are. Yeah, I, I agree. I I think the same thing. I mean, I think you know, if if we're to presume the suicide happened, the attempt happened in the last month, I'd say it's a little too flippant. I think it's, it's more like happened. a year. Sure. And in which case, I think it's treated with this, the right kind of weight for how they're talking about events it. happen in high school. They and, do talk about it. And also, she has written many songs about him. She's 66 now or sort of very strong-minded about. She's not going to let him beat her down. She is going to take a stand. She's written 60 songs about him. She plants herself on the couch. Joe she goes, lies when he cries. I'm going to sing every one of them tonight. Sure. She's singing them. They yeah. all sound pretty similar. It's very yeah. funny. Lily Taylor is hysterically funny in this movie. There's a third friend in the uh, girlfriend group that we're introduced to in this scene, played by... Pamela Adlon. The yeah, great Pamela Rebecca. Adlon, yeah. who's referenced uh, two episodes now. She was That's in The true. Matrix as well. Yep. Good job on you, Pam. But she was Pamela Siegel at that point. Uh, oh, I had no idea. She was, yeah. Uh, pre-marriage. Uh, she's credited as Pamela Siegel. Um, anyway, yeah, she plants herself there, plays all the songs. Uh, very quickly, uh, Lloyd. Yeah, they split up. They're not in the part. They're not together. They, they get split up because but everyone's like, what's Diane Court doing here? Everyone wants to talk to her. Everyone wants to sign her yearbook. They've like, never gotten to speak to her right, before and in this kind of capacity. It's like a fucking politician has entered their midst and they're all just like shaking hands with her. And they're like, oh, well, it was, it's great to meet you. you in know? like a human capacity. Right. You know? And she keeps on looking around and seeing Lloyd. And, and he's always checking in on her. He's always checking in on her and just sort of pointing at her and giving a thumbs up. And she's like, yeah, thumbs up. And he's up. got like the key bag on his head in yeah. one scene. I love him. He's so cute in this, this movie. Is exactly what ninety nine percent of teen comedies, teen romances, romantic comedies lack. 
Yeah. Which is not a meet cute exactly, but just like a a sequence that establishes why two people might like each other. Like like most of these things try to do it in these like super contrived ways. Yeah. Or with some sort of big grand gesture or for no reason at all really, then just start, you know. And I just think it's like you get it. You get the connection here, even though it takes a little while for it to become romantic. But that's a really good point because you get the appeals. I think me meet cutes are stupid because yeah, you they're usually kind of like, dumb. Yeah. Know from the first time you meet somebody, and I feel like most of the times in my life I've met someone, and I've gone like, "Oh my god, this is the one." I've been so fundamentally wrong about that. Yeah, well, that's your personality problem. Yeah, a hundred percent. But um, there's yeah, I think you're getting at something really smart here, which is that like you meet someone and you're interested, but there's a moment later where you start to go like, "Oh, this there might be a thing here." It's less about like a meet cute and more about like a be sweet. Yeah. There's a moment where you just like be sweet with each other in a sure. movie. Sure. Where you're like, oh, there's some where nice. Where it's like, oh, well, when I think about this, actually, yeah. 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 Right. This is like, and, yeah. I mean, as the film repeatedly sort of reminds us, Diane's a very methodical person. Yeah. She thinks things through. Yeah. She's like really careful and like collects evidence. And that, I mean, we'll get to that scene later, but the scene where she sort of lays out her methodology for sleeping with John Cusack, I love it. You yeah, know? but she just has and to... And so we're watching that case yeah. kind of get built. Watching this film, you need to see him present himself to her as uh, someone who will make her feel good. Sure. Because that's like the one thing, you know? I mean, she's not going to have there, time. Ben? I just went... <gasps> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm good. You're just grievousing a little bit? No, no, I just, I had a cough moment <laughs> and I did it off mic. Sorry to distract. Yeah, I, no, call, I call that grievousing. Oh, yeah, yeah, a little robot coughing. Yeah. Um, so let's wrap up the party because we, you know, got, we've got a ticking clock here. Yeah. It, but it's, there's one yeah. scene in the party I want to mention. I don't uh-huh. know what yours is. Though, if you no, anything. you say yours first. Well, the, the, the Joe Corey kind of confrontation uh-huh. where he comes to her. And I just love it because he's he is villainous because he's obviously manipulating her, but he's mostly stupid. Yeah, what I like about it. Like he's just sort of like, "I love you." You know, my girlfriend's moving away, but I'll break up with her first, and then we should be together. Have sex with me, like, and it's just as dumb as you could imagine. And she gets that he's being dumb finally. Like that's what I like about it. It feels like this might be the start of a plot for the whole movie where they're like together and breaking up and she's just like, no, 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 forget no. it. And she's out. I'm going to take a stand. And it also, I mean, that defines later. The the thing I like, there's a, a thing that keeps on repeating throughout the party where people keep on asking him, you're here with Diane Court, how did that happen? And, and he's he like, goes, I asked her. I asked her. Right. And when people ask her the same thing, the one time she really answers, she goes, he made me laugh. Yeah. It's cute. And it's like, he called me. I wasn't that sold. And he said a couple things I thought were funny. Oh, and really? I kind of went, why not? But, but, but I, it, I love I, that he says, I asked her, right. and this guy, this, this like loser guy goes like, hey, give me hope, man. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Played yeah. by Jason Gould, son of Barbara Streisand and Elliot, Elliot Gould. Gould. Yeah. Um, what a sexy 70s couple that is. Have you God. ever seen that picture I Imagine used to be obsessed him. with? Imagine him. Have you seen that picture that's Elliot Gould and Barbara Streisand in a swimming pool and she's on his shoulders? No. And they're both just the most beautiful Jews you've ever seen. Yeah, a lot of shoulder hair. I used to be obsessed with it. There was a period of time where I was trying to make Elliot Gould my best friend. Well, sure. And I had I had that picture. I ha- I have like that. Did I ever show you that thing he wrote to me? You did. It's very sweet. Yeah, Elliot Gould wrote me a thing once uh, to read when I was having panic attacks. It's cool. Uh, that was really nice. Anyway, uh, he's one of my favorite actors of all time. Uh, his son's really good in this movie. He is. He is. He's got. He's the one with the weird curly uh, like side fade or whatever right? yeah. yeah like the weird 
funny uh, haircut. The exact haircut I had freshman year of high school. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. It was on it was that. the curly flock of seagulls. Oh boy. It was the angle. Why did you have that haircut? I don't know. Shh. I'll say this. Boy. I so I got into in eighth grade. I was like, I want to have long hair. I want to look like Lars Urich from Metallica. <laughs> so I just didn't cut my hair, and then like uh, you know, a year later, I just looked like a brunette carrot top. Like I just had this fucking mush of hair. So my parents were like, you got to get a haircut. And I was like, okay, but I want to keep it long. So I was like, let me do something that's like layered. So they cut it on the sides. And weird. And yeah. so I did that. I like, I, I don't know. I brought in some weird like Johnny Depp picture where he had straight hair. And I was like, give me this. And when I walked out, I ended up looking like Jason Gould and say anything. And I had that for like three months until I shaved my head. Okay. So now I think we need to move past the part because we got to I was just going to the say there's the, the moment when, uh, I believe it happens at the party when um, Diane Court talks to Corey. And she just keeps on saying, like, well, he's a really good guy. Yes. When is the scene, My one of my other favorite? This is later, though. Well, well I don't we'll want get to get to that, to that yet. Okay, okay. But um, it's, it's a really nice scene because, like, especially as someone dealing with a dude who's such a piece of shit. Sure. And as someone who is, like, best friends with Lloyd but doesn't view him romantically. Yeah. She's kind of trying to just, like, it's not just being like, please date my friend, please date my friend. I feel like she's telling Diane, like, you're lucky. Right. That other people don't realize. Right. That Lloyd is such a good guy. Yeah, that's the secret about it. I've him. dealt with shitty guys. People think, I think the, the read on Lloyd seems to be like, Lloyd, he's cool. Yeah, I don't know that guy's vibe, but he's cool. You can kind of count on Lloyd. Like, yeah. he's all right, but he's not in with the, the bros. No. Who we see later for one scene, and we like yeah. to see the bros. Yeah. And he's not one of them, but they're fine with him. You and know, they'll, also- they'll, 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 they'll you know, talk to him. And this, you know, this Taylor uh, Brooks Adlon group seem to be sort of, they're they're kind of latchkey kids in their own way. Yeah, he's you know? like the ultimate latchkey kid. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, he's he's such a Gen X kid in that way. Right. So they're not like nerds, but they're also not popular. They're just kind of kids who like exist in high school. Sure. Like, oh yeah, she's nice. Which I think is one reason people love this movie is that they can glom onto him in that way. They yeah. Can be like, yeah, well, I'm kind of like this guy. You know, and, I'm not a theater kid. I'm not a jock. I'm not what you know. Like, uh, yeah, I'm kind of like this guy. I'm kind of a jack of all trades. And yeah. there's the scene where Cusack confronts uh, Lauren Dean, confronts Joe, yes. and is like, "Don't you see? She's written sixty songs about you. You're <laughs> yeah. like hurting her." And he's just like, "What? Please, <laughs> he's so like, funny. but he's like, please let her out of her misery. Don't you understand that she's written all these songs?" And he goes like, "Oh yeah, I understand it. She's well, gonna be famous one day, and I, I'm gonna have all her tapes." Yeah, why do you think I keep her tapes? Yeah, and he's just like, "You fucking asshole." But he's not. He's just kind of like. Ugh. But he's just, he's too young and too dumb at this point in time to understand that she's a human being. And Lloyd right, understands which is that, how people are like often. Right? Yes. When and you're Lloyd teenager. is different. He, Most he, teenagers he, are sociopaths to one degree or another. Lloyd's right? a little different. And he's the kind of guy who, after the party, when you go to the 7 Eleven or whatever, and you're walking and you've taken your shoes off because they were high heels and your feet hurt. He and there's some the glass on the on the street. Yeah. He'll sweep it aside with his foot. And that's the defining moment. He doesn't make a big deal out of it. He's not looking for a medal. No. He just does it because he doesn't want her to hurt her feet. And, and he's he observant. He's aware. Walks her home, gives her a hug. Off he goes. Off he now, goes. I'm going to say this, gentlemen. What we just described is a lot of showing, correct? Sure. Yeah, that's right. the photo. David just found the photo. We're going to post it on our Twitter. Of Streisand and Gould, it's the sexiest thing I've ever seen. So it's a lot of showing, Ben. What were you saying? But I, I've never seen this film prior to this viewing. Uh-huh. Sure. And I, I gotta tell you, I kept waiting for uh, Cusack to tell me how he was feeling and break the fourth wall. Oh sure, do the. You mean you, you were looking for a high fidelity? I think because I also Cause, saw Lily, right? Sure. And He's I just also it, in high fidelity. Just yeah. But this ain't a high fidelity, baby. No, and it's a. It's 
They're both great films. Anyway. I feel all these a masterpiece. Yes, one agreed. of the greatest romantic comedies ever made because it knows its protagonist is an evil, not evil, but awful person. Yeah, and takes him on those terms. Yeah, and it knows that romance is about dependency. Yeah, and takes the main romance on those terms, and is still a somewhat heartwarming movie that you love. It is a work of genius. I agree 100%. I also think I watched it again about a year ago, and it's finally gotten to that interesting point where it's a perfect time capsule movie. Absolutely. Where the film feels very much of its time. Absolutely. It feels like a period piece, but it's so honed into what the culture was and the look of like the year 2000 was Mm -hmm. and the sound of the year 2000 and all of that that it's like it's a a perfect little uh, movie. Uh, But talk about a movie that is brutal about its protagonist. Yeah, which I love. I know. Um, here's another thing about High Fidelity, one that bums me out about I think it aging poorly, hmm. and this is not the movie's fault. Uh-huh. Uh, do you remember seeing that movie for the first time when you didn't know that Jack Black could sing that well? Yeah, yeah, and it was cool when he sings at the end of the movie, yeah. yeah. And, and I like tried to show the movie to Romley, and she liked it a lot. But but she, she was, was like, like, I've seen School of Rock. Yeah, I've I know seen, Jack Black can yeah, sing. I've he sings at all the he time. He won't never stop He's being the singing tenacious guy. D, you yeah. Know? <laughs> anyway, this movie. Yeah. Getting back to it. <laughs> yeah. She starts dating Lloyd. Yeah. At first, seems pretty gentle, mm-hmm. but he comes to like a family dinner. Yeah. And at that family dinner, he says that he doesn't want to uh, buy, sell, or process anything. He doesn't want to buy anything that's been sold or processed. He doesn't want to sell anything that's been bought or processed. He doesn't want to process anything that's being bought or sold or processed. So do you know the story about that line? <laughs> no, it's so good. That line was originally much shorter, and Cusack fucked it up. Uh-huh. And Crow used the take where he was trying to correct it after he had said it. It's so he so says it good. six different ways. It's such a perfect teenager at the dinner table yeah. moment. Yeah. And yeah. if you notice, they cut away to the family reactions a couple like, times. Uh... But I think it's also because he had to cut away from Cusack's face clearly fucking up the oh, lines. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But he just wanted the line. But he yeah. does that, and there are a couple other moments in the film like that where Ion Sky like, starts saying something and then resays it that feels like an actor resetting on their line because they pronounce the f- first word But Crow just likes word, the weirdly. weird, like, jangly energy of it. Well, it's like yeah. I do it on the podcast all the time where I go like, oh, that's one of my favorite words. One of my favorite words. Mm-hmm. And everyone loves it. Right, and he, everyone loves it. People love it. They put it on T-shirts. They collect the trading cards. Correct. Um, but um, m- most directors were like, I want the line clean. Right. I want a clean take. And Cusack's like, uh, not Cusack, Crow is like, that's who these characters are. Like, right. they're young people. They you know, don't know how to express themselves yet. Yeah. And it feels human. It feels messy. It feels real. It feels honest. I don't know, what the, I don't know if Crow was like this. I think he was. I mean, Crow's famous for playing music over the PA system while he's shooting, like playing music that he wants to be on the soundtrack or wants like to be part of the vibe of the film. He's a mood film. To like set set the mood. He's famous for his somewhat unconventional methods in this regard. Yeah. He's not, I would say, a great filmmaker, like capital G, capital F in terms of like where he puts his camera or like that kind of stuff. But he's not not bad. He's not a very visual filmmaker. I think he's very good with editing, which isn't surprising because he's a musical guy and there's a rhythm thing there. Yeah. His cinematography is is clean. Yeah, but sort of. I mean, he gets. We'll yeah. get to it. He gets more invent. I mean, like Jerry Maguire is one of the best edited comedies ever made. Editing has always been a strong suit of yeah. his. Cinematography has always been sort of perfunctory. Fine. He Fine. hires good people. The films are in focus. Well, this film was shot by Laszlo Kovacs. That's it, what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah. It's he no hires good people, but yeah. he he puts the camera and sort of just and edited by Richard Marx. The simplest place. He has really good close-ups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because he trusts his actors, and I think his biggest skill set is just he's amazing with actors. He writes these great characters, and I think he really loves actors. There are certain filmmakers you watch, like um, Crow, 
Yeah. I think when you watch Altman movies, sure. obviously Cassavetti's movies, yeah. where you sit there and you can just imagine the director behind the monitor watching the takes and just like being like, oh God, look how great this is. Yeah. Like look at them making all these choices. David O. Russell is when you go too far into it and it becomes yeah. indulgent. Good call. But these guys just kind of like love actors, love performances. Love actors, love performances. And you can feel the space they're giving them. The movie just becomes at this point sort of a, a slow courtship. She keeps on saying, like, we're not dating, we're friends, but then they're sort of kissing. At the same time, we know, we realize at the dinner table that John Mahoney's character is being investigated by the IRS for something. Right. They so that's kind of, of bubbling dinner. away in the background. So I'd say there's three tracks set up now on this film, which are John Mahoney's being investigated by the IRS. We don't totally understand why. Ayon Sky is going to England at the end of the summer. At the beginning, so she a says, bit of a ticking time bomb. Right, and she says, like, I'm leaving in, in 16 weeks. And he's like, I want to see you as much as I can in these 16 weeks. Yeah, 16 weeks is a lot of time. I want to see you as much as I can. Right. And because Q- to a teenager, that is true. 100%. Yeah. Uh, and Cusack uh, has no idea what the fuck he's doing with his life. But he's and keeps getting asked what he's going to do He's feeling the life. pressure. Baby Newark gets out of the car. And she's like, you really need to decide on a career. His dad, as he keeps reminding us, like, wants him to join the military, but yeah. he doesn't really want to be part of that corporation as he puts it Mahoney's yeah. throwing a lot of shade you know at his lack of focus he doesn't yeah. believe in the kickboxing Mahoney's thing. dislike of him increases which I like like it's not like he just sees this guy and is like fuck this guy Yeah, it's more like he sees this guy and is like this guy's not a threat to my daughter my daughter's like very clear minded she's not going to get distracted by this he keeps seeing him and he's like what's the deal with like you know what's this guy's problem and then I know we got to get to it because we do have to keep moving I know no I was just going to say I like that Mahoney's problem isn't that he lis- dislikes Lloyd. It's that Lloyd is a distraction to yes, her. Right. He dislikes how much his daughter likes him. Yeah, he doesn't really think about him as a person much. It's more just like the role he plays. He thinks he's a roadblock. Yeah. Right. But then they have sex. Like, pretty early in the movie. Like, yeah. 45 minutes in? I don't know. Like, you know, halfway through the movie, maybe? They're in the backseat of a car. Yeah. They have hot sex. Yeah. It's a fucking hot scene. Yeah. My, They're hot people. Yeah. That's also my biggest sexual fantasy. I've never had sex in a car before. I really want to. Because mm. I grew up in New York City. There's no car. Yeah. It's not really a car sex. Uh, it's not town. really a car town. Um, but they uh, do do some like really, really cool car fucking. And they listen to In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel when she says, listen to this song. It's a really good song. Yeah, but it's just kind of playing quietly. He doesn't push it too hard. In your eyes. No, see, but it's not like that. The light, it's more like the heat. In your it's just like quietly. The I am complete. Yeah, you're all right. Uh, ben singing to, yeah, we all have Do to a harmonize. Churches. Okay, ready, ready, uh, all three of us at once. Okay, ready. One, two, three. In <laughs> your eyes, the lights, the heat. No. Your eyes. David, you weren't. You're not here. Your ready? Okay, wait. We gotta start no. over. Ben's so monotonal. We have 15 minutes. Griffin. Three. Griffin. Two. One. In your eyes. David. No, I'm not doing this. Come on. We got to gotta move on. We got to move on. Your eyes. I am complete. Oh, God. I hate that when I start a ball rolling and then it's like, ugh, I do it so often. <laughs> what do I think's going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> they have sex. She explains this decision to her father. She goes I love home. It. She's like, I wasn't going to do it. You know, he I goes, thought, where were you? Why didn't you call? I spent the night with Lloyd. So immediately when he hears that, he goes like, oh, boy. Yeah. Spent the night. Is that a euphemism, right? right? And she goes, I was with him. So I think about how much I loved him. And then, you know, how much I liked him. Uh, then I wasn't ready to have sex, make this decision. So I told him that. Yeah. And Mahoney gives her, like, you know, a, a kind nod. He's very proud of his daughter. And then she goes, and then I just attacked him anyway. Right, right, right. Which is great because you can see Mahoney be like, 
oh, good. Like, you see his face yeah. relax, and then she's like, eh, but then I attacked him anyway, and he's just like, yeah. He's just terrified. Great. It's but great. I, I like that he's not angry at her. No, he's not angry for having sex. He's not, like, some defender of her virginity no. or anything like that. That virginity is not discussed. Like, yeah. you know, they have sex because people have sex with each other. Yeah, people yeah. like having sex. Good. Yeah, well, I mean. Yeah. A plus number one. Okay. I say number two. Movies are better. But then we see him try to buy a luggage set. Old yeah. Mahone. Yeah. Uh, owning Mahoney. Owning Mahoney. Philip Mahoney. He's trying Mahoney. to own. He's trying to own Mahoney. Yeah. But Philip Seymour Hoffman will do it. Yeah. Many um, years later. Goes, uh, is flirting hard. No one has ever made an Owning Mahoney reference on any podcast ever. It's never happened. It's one of the few Hoffman movies I haven't seen. It's pretty good. And it's directed by Todd Luizzo from High Fidelity. It's true. Tying it all An together. An actor that never happened. Yeah. He made Love Liza too, right? He did a lot of movies with a uh, PSA. Oh, he didn't do Owning Mahoney. He made I'm Love sorry. Liza. I confuse Love Liza with, with Owning Mahoney. Uh, you know what film he's phenomenal in? Jerry Maguire. Todd Luizzo is incredible in Jerry Maguire yeah. and in High Fidelity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he had a good run. I don't know what fucking happened to him. What he is al- this music? He also recently wrote uh, the Michael Fassbender Hamlet movie. What is this music? You mean Michael Fassbender Macbeth? Yes. I'm sorry. I'm getting everything confused. Owning Mahoney was directed by Richard Kiewinowski. Oh, of course. The great Richard... I can't pronounce his name. Kiewinowski. He tries to buy a luggage set. His card gets declined. And he's flirting with this woman. Everyone, the, Another guy looks at him and is like, thumbs up. Yeah, right. And he's nice, like, would nice you want to? And she's like, your card got declined. And I was watching this with Joanne. And I was yeah. like, could they even get a card decline in 89? Like, did, were there credit card machines at this point? Like, or did they still do the... You, you hear know. like a dial tone when she swipes it. Sure, but I love what. She, yeah, so I get it's early. I think there was a. I phone, love that she yeah. says, "I have to confiscate your card." Never heard of that. Yeah, you have to take your card away. I mean, just it doesn't work, right? I don't know. But it's like it could be such a perfunctory scene of, "Oh, look, your card's declined." Sure. And Crow adds this whole other element to it, which is the wounded pride of. Yes. He's flirting with oh, this woman. God. You get the sense that he hasn't had much of a dating life because his whole life is but his, his daughter. daughter's about to go away. Maybe going he can entertain this. Right. Right. Yeah, it's so true. There are like four things happening in this scene. Simultaneously. Boss in this movie. You know what other movie he's great in around the same time? Moonstruck. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's really good in that. And Moonstruck, that scene is where he keeps on, Olympia Dukakis keeps on seeing him at the restaurant flirting with these women, and then they throw fucking drinks in his mm-hmm. face. And she's like, just cool it. <laughs> cool it, Mahoney. You know, I rode an elevator with Olympia Dukakis uh, at this very podcast studio one. Really? With Joe Reed when we were coming up to record The great episode. Joe Reed. We were in a podcast with an older lady. And I wasn't really thinking. I mean, in an elevator. Yeah. We were in a podcast. We got to be in a podcast with an older lady. We haven't covered And I wasn't really ladies, paying attention. Yeah. And then we got out, and Joey was like, that was Olympia Dukakis, Academy Award winner. Of course, Joe would know that. 100% Joe would know that. Joe Reed, the king of best supporting actress. Yes. Anyway, so it's, uh, she breaks up with him. The it, dad, the it really kind of happens out of nowhere. Not at quite, but the dad's just kind of like, you need to break up Mahoney with him. You're moving away. He's like, yeah. you're moving away. You don't want to get tied down. You give don't want to go pen. think about any of this. So she goes, how am I supposed to do that? And he goes, just give him this pen. Now, Lloyd at this point has sent a letter right. that is a big romantic overture. She also says, I would never give him a pen. Yeah. She, like, when he suggests the pen, she's like, that's the, I would never do that. That's weird. Dumb. That's weird. Dumb. But indeed, that's what happens. She's it just have a better idea. They have this car ride where Cusack, where Lloyd's trying to go to the next level. Yeah, you know, I love you level. Yeah, and there's a great part where he goes, "There's something I've been mean to tell you. I want to tell you." And she goes, "Don't say it." And he goes, "You don't even know what I'm going to say." And she goes, "No, I know what you're going to say." And he goes, "I love you." Yeah, and she's like, uh, "We should see less of each other." 
Yeah, and he's like, what are, you, what are you saying? And she goes, I think we should go back to being friends. And he was like, that's what we are. We're just friends. We're just hanging out. And then she's like, I think we should spend less time together. Right, she has to... We should stop seeing each break other. Break up with him. Yeah. Now, so yeah. So this is the... Yeah, I guess this is the part I was worried was going to be just whatever, like in a different light. That he's bugging her, he's calling her, he plays... So. No, I think it works. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, because mostly because it's not a big part of the movie anyway. Yeah. And the movie basically invests the whole part of them being broken up in just him holding up the stereo. Yeah. Like that, it's like, that's like the whole story. We got it. We got well, it. That's, I mean... He's sort of, he's always going to be in her mind. Like, he's like, you know, she's trying to forget it, but he's he's still kind of thinking about, she's right, but thinking that's, about that's it. That's the moment that makes Cameron Crowe as a filmmaker. Totally. Like, I don't think that's the best moment in the film. No, but it's just so memorable and weird. It's so weird, and it is. He's able to capture an entire feeling in an image. For someone Absolutely. who's not a very visual filmmaker, he knows how to use performances, and he knows how to use action, showing rather than telling, you know? Yes. Um, and he nails it. And then the movie, what's interesting is then the movie kind of joins its two plot lines with that very idea. Yeah. And it's like basically she realizes she still wants to be with Lloyd, so she has to figure out if her dad is really guilty of tax fraud. Yeah. <laughs> and she goes to the IRS where she meets who? The great <laughs> Philip Baker. Hall. Such a great one scene performance. The kind of shit he just does on the reg. I watched Boogie Nights the night before I watched this just Why? by chance. Why did you watch Boogie Nights? It's on Netflix and I couldn't sleep and I decided to watch all three hours of Boogie Nights. Okay. okay? So I watched Boogie Nights the night before this where he also has a little more screen time is essentially the one yeah, scene. Yeah, he's not really in much. Yeah. It's a similar thing where it's an office scene where he sits down. Now you listen to me, Griffin. Yeah. I wish I could do him. If I could do a Philip, Philip Baker, Baker Hall, if I, I could do a do Philip yet. Baker Hall, I would be set in life. What a particular voice he has! If you could do Philip Baker Hall, you would be on Mad TV right now, and that's important <laughs> to mention because we referenced your it. Mad TV reel a lot recently. Yeah, I'm not in the I'm not in the new cast. I'm of sorry, Mad TV. David. Yeah, it's fine. I it's saw fine. that. It's fine. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> but uh, have you seen uh, Hard Eight recently? I watched Hard no, Eight. Hard I watched Hard Eight. I, I still have never ago. seen. He's so fucking good in it. Yeah. It's crazy how good he is in it. It's crazy. It shouldn't even. We shouldn't even talk about it. It's like saying the name of God. Well, Midnight Run. If we ever get to oh, oh Bresty, but you know his character in Heart Eight is his character from Midnight Run, oh, right? That's so right, absolutely. That like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson yeah. was obsessed with, with his Midnight role in Midnight Run, which is also essentially one or two scenes. That was the Philip like, Baker Hall special. He said, "I want to know who that guy is," right. and wrote a whole movie inspired by. It, and the character has the same first name. It's kind of like the conversation in Enemy of the State. Where they're like not really sequels, but, but they both successful. have the same character. <laughs> I mean, the that that the conversation yeah. with the state is less successful. Yes, agreed. So let's finish this up. Yeah, Philip Baker we... Hall's the best. He has this scene where he goes to the daughter and she's like, Can you explain to me what's going on? No one will tell me anything. Can you treat me like an adult? Right. And just be honest with me. And he's like, Your dad steals money. He he bills these old people for phony shit. He yeah. you know, he has a lot of cash on hand, probably. He probably buys a lot of stuff just to keep his money. His, his customers die and he acquires what you know, whatever. Exactly. And she goes, like, stop fucking lying to me. And he's like, I'm not lying. You just told me to tell the truth. I well, told the truth. Was, you said he could take she it. She says, You're trying to get me to confess, which is probably true. He's yeah. probably probably trying it, but he's also being like I think it's Look, also out of We've empathy. been investing your dad for years. This shit's probably on the level. And, like, I'm saying a lot of stuff that's classic for these kinds of cases. Have you noticed it? She goes to the house. There's we, And then we start to notice the house is full of stuff. 
He's bought her a car. that earlier. He gives her two gifts. He's always giving her gifts. They've got yeah. a fucking jukebox. Junks. They've got a jukebox. The sack comments on the jukebox. I know, I mean, there nine lot, grand a lot that of jukebox shit. cost. And he then keeps she... on buying gifts, and, and she goes, well, I don't need more gifts. And he goes, okay, one's from you as a dad, one's for you as a My friend. best friend, right, yeah. yeah. And, you know, she finds the money in the, uh, in the antique drawers or whatever. And I love that the title of the film refers to the relationship between her and her father and not the relationship to each other. Because they say that two times. He goes, you know you can say anything to me and he says that before she tells him about sleeping with Lloyd. At a later point in the film when he's trying trying to get get him to confess. confess, She goes, you told me that we could say anything to each other. You have to tell me. And he doesn't. Yeah. And this is the thing that like clicks in her brain where it's like even though she knows her father's right, that she is someone with this ability and is destined for greatness and needs to stay on a straight path. And I think she eventually figures out he did all this shit mostly out of concern for her and he wants to just give her money. Which is the tragedy of this character. Right. I mean, and also he's a bad guy, but he's not like, I mean, he's not like a supervillain or whatever. No. He's more just like, yeah, bad guy. Yeah. he's bad he's guy. rationalized it to himself. He's like, whatever, they get a nice old people home out of me like what do you care how much it costs well that's what's great is he doesn't back down on that scene he no. says like I didn't do anything wrong he doesn't really back down when he's in prison yeah he he knows he's fucked up but he doesn't really admit the the wrongdoing oh there's a great shot like halfway through the film that's just him in the bathtub lying oh, that's there that's devastating and the daughter knocks on the door and he and goes he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm finishing up in here Mahoney man is incredible in owned it owns it just um, so we don't pass over it, uh, there was one throwaway scene with the two accountants talking oh. a bunch of mumbo jumbo. No, it's the two lawyers. Yeah, that was so weird. Love that scene. Oh, that's you lawyers. Like that? Yeah, that's the lawyers negotiating his plea bargain. Yeah, I'll tell you what I love about love that scene. Love that scene because that's how that shit works. Yeah, and I and I like this more this time than the last two times. I like that it's so fucking banal because courtroom stuff in movies is usually so dramatic and so heightened. And you're just seeing two guys go like, what about nine months? And he's like, no, come on, dude, 12 months. And he's like, fine, 12 months, 200,000. I've got it almost exactly. It's 40,000, no jail time. The guy's like, no way. And he's like, all right, 80,000. The guy's like, 120,000, nine months. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. He goes like, he stole from grandma and grandpa. Come on. We're not going to let him off that easy. But they like barely make eye contact with each other. And then they just shake hands and they go and they're like, work's done. Like, these guys have 80 cases a day. Yeah. They don't have time to get all emotional about them. Right. It's not, you know, you're out of order, this whole court's out of order. Right. It's like it just happens in a back room, and that's, like, the fucking deal. And Mahoney, when she confronts him about it, is like, no, absolutely not. Like, she gives him the final chance to own up to it. To, to own, own Mahoney. Mahoney. Yeah. And he, he doesn't won't, he do won't it. Do it. Yeah. And she goes, Dad, I found the money. Yeah, right. Like, I found tons of bills in a box. Yeah, Clearly, I know what's going on. It. And he immediately goes... It's not what you think it is. And she goes, what is it? And rather than lie and say, like, that money was given to me by a drifter, sure, you know, right, right. he goes, it's not what you think it is. I did it for you. Right. And she goes, like, I don't care who yeah, you did it for. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, I need to do this. And he keeps on, like, getting defensive and going, like, I do so much for these people. I treat them better than their families do. What does it matter if I take their money? And she's like, they didn't allow you to take. They didn't agree to that. But he's so stubborn in a man who spent, what, I mean, Ten years of his life. I mean, how long has it been since their parents divorced? Five or six years. Right. Yeah. And since then, he just is like, it's entirely on me to carry this girl. Yeah. And it's clear from the way the scene with the mother, where all she does is comment on her mouth being weird and wanting her to be presentable in front of her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. The mom clearly doesn't see the same potential in her that the dad does. Sure. And yes. he feels this responsibility single-handedly. And he he went too far. He, he wanted far. to like create a big safety net or something. I don't even know. The movie doesn't get into it. It doesn't matter because yeah. she's a teenager. The thing is that a bad thing happens to her. Yeah. Which is what happens to teenagers. 
But people think this plot. A lot of the big hit on this movie, I think, is that this plot comes out of nowhere, it, and that it's like so dramatic all of a sudden. That's what people's lives yeah, are like. It worked That's so really well my me. argument. I really yeah. do feel like this is teenagers are just like I like Lloyd. I like Lloyd. I'm blinkering my eyes and looking yeah. at her from I like Lloyd. I like Lloyd. And then suddenly it's like ripped out. You know, they have to be ripped out of their teen tunnel vision, and it's like, dude, all this crazy stuff happens in the world. What's also like in all these Dude. teen films, the the lead female character usually has so little fucking like uh, internal life going on, right? For a film that yes. starts with a guy being like, "I have a crush on this girl, I want to ask her out," yeah, and then Act Two, for whatever reason, they're gonna split up because that's how these movies work. Until Act Three, they get back together, right? Uh-huh. And usually, what splits them up is another guy. Or just like, I'm getting scared, things are moving too fast. Sure. Or my least favorite when a film is set up on a lie and she finds out the lie in the, the relationship worst. and I throw knives at the screen, Ugh, right? The worst. I fucking vomit everywhere. I mean, and that's not always, so many teen movies, not even always romances, the whole premise is that there's some big lie that they yeah. start telling and then they have to like elaborate on it because they get like caught in the, and, and then like you're just like, we're going to have the third act reveal. Yeah. It's going to be like a total bummer. And right. it, then it has to be solved. Like, it's the worst. Especially in thing. relationship movies. I, School of Rock, it works. I think any movie where it's a teacher it lying about something, it works. Any movie where someone's lying to the other person, the couple, it's a nightmare. Let's wrap it up. Um, I want to play the box office game. I've too. had in real life relationships that ended because of family stuff that was going on in my life. And the burden of that became so great that yeah, I was just like, I just sometimes. don't fucking deal with this. And I love that the film starts with Lloyd and then kind of shifts over to her yep, absolutely. after he dumps her and is like, this she is what, she I, I'm sorry, yes. Uh, this is what she's going through mm-hmm. and you're able to track why she dumped him yep. because she had all this shit to process. Right, and then why she kind of wants to go back to him because she can't forget about him. You He's don't see him for a long period of the film and when nope. you do, it's these little bits and pieces of just the phone calls, He's of the boombox, yep. of this and that. And, uh, you know, he goes to hang out with the guys and they're like, just find a girl looks exactly like her fucker and then you'll be fine. And he's like, why are you guys just hanging out alone on a Friday night just with each other, not with any women? And like some random 10 year old. And and, and, right. And they're just like, it's out of choice, out of choice, out of choice. And then I love the thing at the end of that conversation, Piven just goes like, I was in love once. That really sucked. Like when that ended, I don't want to go through that again. Like it's like this moment of honesty. Where they're like, I'm really scared of like letting my feelings get exposed. Ugh, There's the so great good. Lauren Dean line too, where he goes like, "Dude, I can hook you up with any girl in the universe. Who do you want?" And he goes, "Okay, Diane Court." And he's like, "Ah." <laughs> <laughs> so the movie ends in a federal penitentiary. Classic. She comes back to Cusack right after he's gotten his nose broken in a kickboxing room. Sure, sure. She comes up to him and she's like, "Lloyd, I need you." Mm-hmm. And he's like gotten over. He's her. like he's like put up the defensive wall of like I'm he, not going to let myself he feel needs her to because... say it three times, right? Like that. But he says like, "Do you need me or do you need someone right now?" Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he goes, "You know what? I don't care. I don't care." And then just starts kissing her, right? Right, because they love each other. Yeah, and he makes her say it three times. Um, but then they go to a federal penitentiary. Mm-hmm. They meet the dad. Only Lloyd talks to the dad for most of the scene. And Mahoney, his hair's gone gray. Yeah, because obviously he was coloring his hair and yeah. like. It's he's just and he's he's smoking, he's chain smoking. He's miserable. It's he's so fucking grumpy. It's a little too 
on the nose, but it works. It just sucks. It's also this guy and he's good. who just sort of charmed his way through life, and, and now it's like, it's like yeah, fuck, it's ruined. Yeah, because yeah. his daughter won't even talk to him, which is like the wrong. most hard. And he says, like, "Why is she so angry at me about this? This right. had nothing to do with her." Right, right, right. Like he takes no responsibility. He doesn't get for that he did a bad anything. thing. That's why she's upset because he right. did an immoral thing, and she loves old people. Right. And he fucked over all these old people. He feels who like she he's loves. getting blamed for someone else's problem, and which is the entire reason why he is in jail. Yeah, I love that thing where he reads the letter from her and Cusack's like read to the end no I think there's a good part in there she definitely wrote a version with a good part in there and it's not a good part he said, I don't know which version it, it, no this is the good one it's the one that ends with I'll always love you and right. then he looks over the page and, and they don't say her, anything just her name yeah she just he looks at you see the face drop um, and, and he says like you know Lloyd what are you going to do and he went well you know I thought about everything you said about Diane and how much she's destined for and going to London would be a big burden for her you know, and he goes, I'm very glad that, you know, you came to your senses. Right. And, went, and then I realized I don't care about any of that. Right. And I just like to be with her. So I'm just going to go to London and be with her. Yeah, you always That's ask what me what I want to do. do. To be honest, sir, oh, I want to be with your daughter. And by the way, we got to be done with talking about the plot of the movie. Yeah, because I got to see Finding Dory. But um, I love that she's afraid of flying because I'm afraid of flying. Oh. Uh, I hate flying. I hate to yeah. fly. It's my least favorite thing in the world. And I love that, that the movie ends with them in the plane as it's taking off waiting for the seatbelt light to go off which is how I feel when I'm in a plane I'm just like he when says, is this nightmare if something's over? gonna go wrong it's gonna go wrong in the first five minutes sure. when you hear the ding of the, the seatbelt you're basically fine you're yeah. basically fine which is a perfect metaphor for the entire movie right which is like the rockiest part of any relationship is the beginning and the end right and they're holding each other's hands and they're like just waiting and waiting 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 and then like ding cut to black it's take it's off crazy. and landing you want cruising altitude is what you want in a relationship ding cut to black yeah perfect I I uh, couldn't remember when I was watching it uh, if it cut to black right after the ding or before the ding. Sure. It's right after. Well, I know because now I've rewatched it. But I was sitting there and I was kind of like, uh, I wanted the bleaker ending that was cutting before the ding and not being sure about the ding. Yeah. But then I realized like, no, the whole movie was them taking off. Yeah. Give them the ding. They've earned the ding. <sighs> so this movie came out April 1989. Um. A domestic gross total was $20 million, basically made its budget back plus a little bit. Mm-hmm. It opened to 4 mil April 14th, weekend of April 14th, 1989. Can you guess what number one was? Let me tell you, this is a movie that anytime producer Ben watches it, cries. 1989? <laughs> and Ben has told you that he cries every time he every watches time he this sees film? This movie. <laughs> Give me one more hint. How many weeks of release? It's a baseball movie. It had come out the previous week. Uh, Field of Dreams. Nope. No, come on. That would be an obvious answer. Think Ben Hosley. Bull Durham? No. Also a good movie. 1989 baseball movie. It's not Eight Men Out because that was the year earlier. Sure. Uh, the Natural. Nope. It's a comedy. Fuck. Dennis Haysbert is oh, this. Oh, 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 oh. And I know Ben has told me before that he cries every I time know. he watches it was in a group text. Major League. Major. Ben cries every time he watches Major League. Yeah, I don't know Love why. It. I don't know why either. <laughs> but it's just that last game gets me every time, man. I cry in uh, Major League 2 when he puts the wild thing glasses back on. Uh, back, back to the minors? <laughs> no, that's three. That's three. Right, fair enough. Yeah. Major League Back to the Minors. Show That's some true. respect. Uh, all right. Uh, also in the top 10 that year, I'm, we're not going to play the game because we're yep. out of time, but uh, The Dream Team with Michael Keaton. Peter Boyle, Stephen First. Uh, correct. Uh, y- Lloyd. You've got She's Out of Control. What film is She's Out of Control? Uh, it's, uh, it's a movie with um, fucking Matthew Perry in it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a Tony Danza movie. I have no Jeez idea what Louise. it is. Uh, Rain Man is in there, having made $152 million over the previous 18 weeks. And go on, it will then go on to win Best Picture that year. It's going to win Best Picture in a couple weeks or yeah. a few, yeah, yeah, a few yeah, weeks. Yeah, yeah. You've got a movie called Disorganized Crime. Great. Looks like a mafia comedy. You've got Cyborg. 
Jeez Louise, this is a higher 10. It really is. You got Dead Calm, this Decent is a, Thriller. The Kidman uh, Zane picture? Yeah, got that right. This is April? Uh, This is April 89. Okay. You've got Fletch Lives. Oh, boy. Oh, oh Shout out to Fletch. Yeah. Which has collected 30 mil in five weeks. Not great. Yeah. And you've got The Rescuers. The, the original uh, re-release? original re-release Rescuers. Because probably Down Under was coming out the next year. They wanted to prime the audience. Maybe at the end of the year. Maybe it's the next year. Yeah. 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 They're, they're getting the audience primed and buttered up. Bill and Ted's still in there. Dangerous Liaisons. <laughs> Twins. Heathers. The, you know, these are at the back of the- Can I ask a serious list. question? Twins made $106 million. Huge. Um- is Bill and Ted the best comedy ever made? I don't think so. Because sometimes I do. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen either Bill and Ted in a long time, but I haven't seen Bogus Journey in an age. One and of I would the like best to, sequels. I know. I would like yeah. to see it again because I feel like uh, I probably a lot of it went over my head when I was like 11. Yeah, rules. There, what's also like 50% a Seven Seal parody. It's true. Uh, that movie rules. Can you plug my computer over there? Uh, yeah, but guess what? It's got motherfucking George Carlin in it, too. Oh, man. wait, Shit. what? We got a merchandise spotlight. Oh, oh, come on. We gotta go. Look at this. Oh, gross. It's so weird. Okay, I knew David was gonna hate this. It's a Lloyd Dobler toy, but his eyes are, like, bulging out in the wrong direction. So, so uh, Funko, the company that makes, like, all those pop figures, they have a line called Vinyl Idols that are, like, taller, sort of, like, vinyl statues. Okay. But they're done in this weird style that I guess is supposed to look kind of like, mm. like a stop-motion figure. I don't like that at all. Don't you think it looks weird? Yeah, I mean, I it looks I wait. like Daniel Radcliffe's character in Swiss Army Man, which has probably come out by the time this movie. But the likeness isn't is bad. I mean, they got kind of the mouth, the eyes. He's kind of the wall-eyed. Likeness is fine, he's got very wide set eyes. You and know the pupils what? Are going no one can directions. see this, and we'll, no one will ever see it. So let's people not will talk see about it. it. But it's uh, Cusack holding the boombox. It's a non-articulated plastic statue of Cusack holding a boombox. If uh-huh. you want one for twenty dollars, you can put it on a shelf. That's I, I the bought... only toy ever made of a Cameron Crowe film. Cool. I bought the Armageddon Blu-ray uh, Criterion DVD today. Oh wow! Because someone posted a clip on Twitter of Ben Affleck's audio commentary in that on that DVD, yeah. and it's just him talking about Michael Bay, where he was like, "Michael, why does I said to Michael like why do they have to train us to be astronauts when they could just train the astronauts to be drillers, which seems easier?" And Michael was like, "Ben, shut the fuck up." <laughs> And so I guess that was the end of that conversation. It's really funny, and I just want to listen to this whole thing and see what other gems of wisdom Ben Affleck has. Uh, well, maybe let me borrow that. After you're done I will. With that. And yeah. there's a later part where he's like, you know, I just like I just think this is a real leap of logic. It's like, how hard is it to operate a drill? Point it at the ground, turn it on. <laughs> it's so funny because you know Disney licensed all the Criterion special features, including the commentary for their <laughs> Blu-ray of The Rock. Uh huh. But, but not Armageddon. Didn't do it for Armageddon, which is so fucking annoying. Well, that's true. I had to buy the DVD, which yeah. is, I don't like buying DVDs because I love a crisp Blu-ray. But Me too. You know. So anyway, I did that. Anyway, um, so yeah, so that's the that's our say anything episode. Next week we're gonna do singles. Uh, I just want to throw one thing out there, a thing I think interesting. There's one lone credited producer on this film. Most movies have like 20,000 uh, it's, it's a lady. I forget her name. It's Polly Platt. Mm-hmm. She was uh, the production designer uh, and wife of uh, Peter Bogdanovich okay. on his first couple of films. Sure. Last, Last Picture, Picture Show, Show yeah. uh, Targets, mm-hmm. um, uh, whatchamacallit, Paper Moon, uh, Paper Moon yeah, What's yeah. Up Doc, the ones that rule. Yeah, the great ones, yeah. He leaves his wife for... Uh, Sybil, Sybil Shepherd, Sybil Shepherd makes yeah. a bunch of Sybil Shepherd vehicles that are of okay disintegrating okay quality, to bad yeah. right yeah mm-hmm. 
Um, and Polly Platt, as his career kind of very quickly plummeted, she, there's a legacy, she, this sort of Marshall Lucas thing of like, Polly Platt might have been the necessary uh, other half to ingredient, him. yeah, to the whole production. Okay. And she, I believe, produces Terms of Endearment, mm. James L. Brooks' first movie. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then some years later, after now he's a kind of story filmmaker, deal. and yeah. he brings um, Cameron Crowe, she produces Say Anything, uh-huh. and then years later also produces Bottle Rocket. Mm. So there you go. So you're saying she's a secret ingredient. Three of those four filmmakers are dudes who really lost the plot later on. Yeah. And she produced their first movie, which is the one that crystallized okay, the thing. Okay, all right. That's an interesting I think point. she's an interesting figure to throw out there. All right. And I think, you know. There's That's a the good... kind of insight you get on Blank Check with Griffin and David. We, we pot a cast. We pot a cast. And we haven't uh, talked enough about that name. We'll talk about it next week. We got to go. We did a poll and it got 47% of the votes. And I knew it would the second I saw it as an option. You didn't tell me because you thought I would hate it. I always would have loved it. I really want to object to that. I want to let the people choose. But, but, uh, but Polly Platt's an interesting that's figure. Rude. That's rude. She'll probably be covered in uh, other other miniseries, and we'll sure, talk about possibly. her more. She's yeah, she's right. an interesting figure in American yeah. filmmaking, and she died about seven years ago, which is sad. But she's people gotten die. crazy. Uh, yeah, that, and that sucks. I know. It, yes, it does. It does. But we do have to wrap Rate, Should review, we talk about subscribe. death, though? No. Next episode. Go. Next episode's go. a death bonus. <laughs> and we'll also talk about the film Singles. Singles, which I've never seen. I've seen now. I used to own it on DVD. I don't know why. That was the period of time where if I saw a movie on TV it. and I gave it a six, I would then buy it at Best Buy. <laughs> Singles, Matt Dillon and Kira Sedgwick and Campbell Scott. Yeah. Yeah, Rock uh, Radio. Only uh, <laughs> acting, a credit acting appearance by Tim Burton. Weird. Yeah, get ready. All right. It's a weird movie. Okay, um, this was fun. This was good. I love this movie. I'm glad we talked about me it. Me too. We pot a cast and we're going to continue potting cast for you folks. Uh, we're the two friends. Uh, thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, email us, uh, tweet at us. We won't respond, but we'll notice. And as always. And as always. In your <laughs> eyes. Gotta pee. The, the light, the heat, in your eyes. David, come on. I am complete in your eyes. I see the doorway to a thousand churches in your eyes. The resolution of all the fruitless searches in your eyes. In your eyes. Your eyes. The light of your eyes. In your eyes. Can't believe David's missing out on this. We're having a great time. Sweet ovals. <laughs> this has been a UCB Comedy production. Check out our other shows on the UCB Comedy Podcast Network.